Okay, so Quentin, this week, all the rage is obviously people doing the old face swap, right? Um, and with our history of, of our names in the past, I figured this week, for our mutual love for the most delicious seasoning out there, we are the Old Bays. Um, did you, are you at all interested in doing the Old Face app? Have, did you do one? Did you do any of the things? Like, do you mess I'm with I'm not going to lie to you, I, I did. Okay, okay. But that was, but that, but that was only... For the purposes of upset, uh, like upsetting people, okay. and and sending them that, so I had more people that were like less interested in the face app, and I was like, oh, it'll be funny if I just like take one of their pictures and just fuck with them and send it to them, right? So like, that was the extent of me doing that. Okay. But other than that, like, nah, what wasn't really my thing. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's 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 all spyware, right? It's just it's all the big tech companies using it to to help better their facial recognition software. So everyone... yeah, but but everything is spyware. Exactly. Though. At this point, <laughs> if you're trying to fight that, it's it's way too late. We've already given up the ghost. You guys have to just like, like we like we do iPhone face recognition where that unlocks your phone. <laughs> right, exactly. You sign all your, all your privacy away. I didn't do the old face. The one that got me the most was the Jericho one, uh, just because I didn't I didn't really know that the face app was super popular again right now. Because every now and then these things become popular again. Yeah, it pops up like every couple like every couple of years. So I just saw the picture and just I legit for a long time thought it was just a regular ass picture of Jericho, uh, <laughs> and then you know it's not, which is. Interesting, but uh, Jericho is a man of many disguises, and he showed up again in disguise this weekend. But this weekend was a huge fucking weekend of wrestling, right? And not just, I don't know, not in the old school sense. I guess it was last weekend, and, and we'll talk about it with, uh, or I'll mention it, why why the podcast may be a little late um, this week. is just we wanted to recalibrate for the G1. You also did Psychology is Dead. If people have gotten a chance to listen to that by now and they're just fiending for more content, we figured it's time to uh, to give it to them here. But, uh, but also, like, this weekend was huge. There was a lot of stuff that we could cover. Um, and I think that both of us had kind of agreed or we had set our eyes on we were going to talk about G1 no matter what. And I thought all the other stuff is getting covered to death. I mean, there's no reason that we needed to be, you know, another voice talking about that shit. And I think I ended up – I think that thought ended up being correct because all the talking points coming out were Fight for the Fallen, Evolve, um, the the true winner the true winner of best show of the weekend uh three to one battle wet hot american summer um that's the only thing ddt ddt peter pan like i'm not yeah, i don't i'm not place. sure how much how many, how, yeah and then there's even stuff that hasn't happened yet that was getting talked about a lot during the cycle like dragon gate kobe world was that which is happening this weekend right. was getting a lot of coverage so there was just like so much going on just and everywhere and, and, I, and I think I, I think i did a pretty good job of watching some of everything that was out there there's a couple of things that i haven't gotten to like i'll be the first to admit i haven't gotten to fight for the fallen yet i haven't gotten to the evolve show that wasn't on the network but other than that i'm caught up and i've watched pretty much everything that happened right and i have not and i'll admit it i haven't gotten to three two one battle yet and i feel really bad but i'm going to blame it almost 100 percent on the fact that the twitch app ate the vod for uh, for hours on end because yeah that was so strange i've never seen it never before. fucking happens and it was so funny because i even made a joke about it in the slack chat i said it's so funny that for the first time i'm the one not watching 321 battle live because usually in that slack chat it's a fucking ghost town when it's 321 battle time and i'm the only one awake still because it's west coast time watching the show you know telling everybody what they need to watch the next day and uh 
and I, you know, I don't even remember what was going on that night, but I wasn't able to watch. I think I popped in and I saw all I saw was Sue Young versus uh, Steve West, which was awesome. That match kicked ass. Confirmed, confirmed a bad wrestler, Steve. Yes, Steve, Steve West. West confirmed terrible wrestler, right? Even though he has kick-ass matches constantly. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> maybe I'm just a fucking Steve West water boy now or something, but I think that he's really come into his own in the past, like, seven to eight months in really getting yeah, what no, he's, he's doing. He's, he's good. For like, what, for, like, what he does, yeah. I like him. He kicks ass for what he does. He's honestly, and this is, like, maybe, like, damning with fate praise to somebody but he's like the pacific northwest version of jimmy havoc but i think he's better than jimmy havoc honestly <laughs> um as a wrestler but, 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 but we're two people that like jimmy havoc though also true. so so like when we're, yes like when we're saying now we're like that's not like an insult so i get no. what you mean yeah exactly and i and i agree i think that you know that i think that it tracks because i think steve west is good for what he's doing in three two in battle but if he showed up at tournament of death i think he'd get dogged the same way jimmy havoc did i think that he oh, would look like god, shit. god yes yeah you know what i mean he would not be able to hang in a real ultra violent setting but for what he's doing in the setting that he's doing it and he kicks ass and so that i saw that that's the only thing i watched live then the next day i woke up first thing and the first thing i fucking do is see that it's not there and i'm pissed off and i'm just like what the fuck i even tweet at three two one battle you know i hope the show goes up soon i'm one of those guys at least i'm not being a reply guy but I'm, i am tweeting at them to see what the fuck is going on it finally pops up finally grab it all ready to go and i just have not gotten to it because there's so much but my point to begin with is we didn't need i don't know that we needed to be another voice talking about all the other shit that's over talked about but g1 feels like it's an afterthought am i crazy to say that it feels like i don't know because there have there, i don't think there's anything that's blown people away yet as far as match quality so i can see why if you just like go through your timeline it feels like no one's talking about g1 but I don't know if I'm crazy or if, like, I'm going to get called, like, a New Japan fanboy for this. I really like the G1 so far. I was going to say, I think it's and the best one in, like, the past three years. I've, I've really liked yeah. it. Like, the booking, I think the booking is really interesting. I think you're getting match quality from, uh, well, great match quality from the matches that you wouldn't necessarily expect it from. Like, some of the, well, I won't even call them surprises because these are great wrestlers that are getting out there and uh, getting chances to perform. But... Jay White versus Tomohiro Ishii, like my, that's my favorite match of the tournament so far. Uh, something like Juice versus Shingo was really good. Jay White versus Hiroki Goto, like I've seen no one talk about that match, but I really love that too. And give your usual suspects going out there and having great matches, like Okada and Tanahashi killed it on the first night. Okada and Zack Saber Jr., Tanahashi and Zack Saber Jr., Will Ospreay versus Kota Ibushi just happened. And all those matches have been great, but I really like the guys underneath, and it feels like they're working just as hard, too. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot of people who, I mean, I'll say it even, like, after last year and a little bit less the year before, but last year, Fale was a 100% disappointment, and every one of his matches was dog shit. The year before, he was not very good. This year, he's finally getting back at least to where he was maybe, like, 2016, where he's at least okay and can have fine matches with someone like okada you know what i mean because the past couple years it didn't matter who he was in there with his matches were shit like he was it was not happening and not even miracle workers could really i mean the closest thing to a good match he had last year i think was tanahashi and that might have been the year before um you know what i mean but this year at least he's good enough to have a okay match with okada you know so there's like a lot of there's a lot of better stuff there's a lot of really good mix i'd say that there is some issues with the sequencings of the shows or where the cards but we'll talk about that um when we actually get into the matches and everything and when we kind of close up with our final thoughts my point is again like i said don't need to be belaboring the point talking about all the stuff that happened fight for the fallen what i've what i saw which was not a lot didn't seem like a very good show to me um didn't not really hate it 
but not great. The Evolve was pretty good. I think that there was some questionable booking stuff. I especially thought it was questionable to open up the fucking show, and the first thing that you show that any new fans that might be interested is Josh Briggs on the mic. I thought that, that was a weird fucking move. Um, you know what I mean? Strange, strange decision. Yeah, yeah, you open up the show with that, and the guy. I think Josh Cause, Briggs because Josh Briggs he's not a, like he's not a bad wrestler, but he's also like not that great of a talker either. He's a good commentator. Uh, what, he's been good on Uncharted yeah. territory, but promos not great. This is like jumping way far ahead, but did you peep that after um, the Austin Theory JD Drake match and Briggs comes out? It's just like the most deafening silence, and it's like, yeah. well, how come? Like, it was the strangest thing. Like, no one reacted to the guy coming out and attacking Austin Theory. And he really felt like the guy that they were focusing the most on. And and who knows if that's because they think that he's the guy who's got the most potential after Theory to get signed, or if he's the guy that they think that they can have as their top guy in beyond for the longest before he d- gets taken you know what i mean it could be a mix of the two things he doesn't fit the the style of what gabe likes in a top guy so it feels like it's more of a wwe kind of positioning because yeah, like it feels like a pan like pandering to what wwe sensibilities are thing. right and and but yeah the crowd not into him uh theory obviously is 100 ready and i think i've been a theory truther for a long fucking time i think i think the history in the slack repeating you know talking about that was you know skill you, me, all thinking that Theory was really good, even just from the old WWA four shows um, when he was just right. a brand new student. But I'm, I, I've, I've been trepidatious on him at times. I've thought that he's not as good as he could be at times. But I've always said that there is a good wrestler in there, and it just continues to come out. I think he's got star power, charisma, looks, everything you could need, um, and he just feels like the most on the show. He felt like the most. This is the guy that WWE is going to be grabbing soon, guy. Um, which makes the most sense. Honestly, I think you compare Austin Theory to Adam Cole, and Austin Theory feels like the upgrade. He's the new model, you know what I mean? He's the he's the, the brand new off the lot, and, and Cole's got a few miles on him. So it's funny to me to think that they have Adam Cole here, but Adam Cole closes out the show as like the ace, um, cutting the, you know, the ace promo at the end of the show and everything. Um, decent show, but again, some questionable bookings, some like head scratchers for someone who's a fan of Evolve thinking that this is your kind of your first time showing. Why was, why was Kurt Stallion in some random four way when he was facing Matt Riddle the next night? I know. It seems like a guy who should be a focus. I know. He, cause he, cause he's coming, he's coming out with Matt Riddle. He's being aligned with them. Why, why is he not in something more of note? I don't, I don't know because if you're going to give him that, He's going to be on the WWE Network. It feels like the way to make the most of that is to give him something a little, he can sink his teeth into a little bit more. Yeah, and especially, I mean, Kurt Stallion, I just reviewed on This Week in Wrestling, you know, special edition, like the match between AC Mack and Kurt Stallion, and it was really good. And it was like one of the best Kurt Stallion matches I've ever seen. And it's like, yeah, that's the kind of stuff he can do well. <laughs> and not like, he's not a good four-way match guy. And I said it as I was watching it at the time. It's like, he's he's not a guy that should be in a throwaway spot fest four-way with like a one of the the, the, the most of the most i've ever liked kurt stallion is in sub when he was feuding with um dominic Garini and then the whatever match it might have been a dog collar no it wasn't dog no collar it was like match. a but whatever gimmick match, match i think yeah but, but whatever match he had with aj gray oh like, yes, that's yes, the yes. most i've ever yeah the, that's the most i've ever liked him so i'm in the same boat as you as to where Kurt, when he's just having random, oh god, like the Bandita match he had from Sup, not Sup, it was a uh, Glory Pro, I think, and I was just like, oh, oh man, god. this is like complete dog shit. Yeah. But then he can go out there into to Sup or Action where he actually gets something to do, 
And I'm like, okay, okay, like I see it with him, but he's so inconsistent, and I think it's part of like the promoters booking him the wrong way. It's part of it, and I think part of it too is L.A. JoJo. I think the L.A. Dojo influence is not good for him. We've seen L.A. JoJo influence completely ruin good wrestlers. And case in point, for like how you can see that 100% is Dragon Lee. I mean, I don't know. I think you probably still like Dragon Lee more than I do, but I used to really like Dragon yeah. Lee, and now I just like. I can't stand him. I really can't. No, same. Like I, 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 th- I still think he's really good, and that there's still a really good wrestler in him, especially in Mexico. But outside of Mexico, he just ca- he just goes like into all the worst territories, the most un- uninteresting, boring shit. Like, still has the best tope in wrestling, probably. But like the bicycle knee stuff and how much he wants to do forearms, even though he isn't particularly good at <laughs> yeah. forearms. Like, uh, yeah, it, it, like, so, it's just so weird. Yeah, and and I saw him uh, do the King of the Indies a few years back when he won it, and this was right at the beginning of he was kind of starting to tease the stuff with New Japan, but he wasn't full Shibata tribute act yet. And I coming out of that weekend, I was like, fuck, Dragon Lee's a guy to watch. Like, I was like going to end up, I was like, he should be on my list in my top 50. He's looking really good this year, having some great performances, and then he's just completely fall up, fallen off with all the horse shit that he puts in all of his matches now. Um, but uh, but <laughs> that's not what we're talking about at the moment. Um, so into the Evolve show, I guess, to me, the biggest, I maybe I thought the biggest star-making kind of standout thing for someone who isn't already signed to WWE or something would be Shotzi Blackheart. Am I crazy in that? That big dive, I think, was the thing that got the most traction on social media, had people talking the most. Do you think that there was anybody else who really used this as a good chance to make a name for themselves? Um, I would agree with you on Shotzi. At least, like, she had the moment that went the most viral, got the most got the most talked about. Other than that, I saw a lot of praise for J.D. Drake's promo in the Austin Theory um, Drake promo package. Yes. I'm not sure I'm not sure how you felt about that. Um, I've always been a big fan of J.D. Drake on promos, and I thought that that, that was really good. So, yeah, I think that, that that helped him. I mean, Eddie Kingston's promo early on in the show was actually really good, too. But I just I'm, I guess I was thinking more of, like, star-making, grabbing the bull by the horns in the ring. But both of them, yeah, like, mm-hmm. promo stuff. And obviously, that's where you want to stand out. But could you imagine eddie kingston getting signed by wwe at this point i mean there was a time a few months back where we thought it was possible but i don't know if it is now we'll see but yeah jd drake i think definitely uh, maybe for some people who haven't seen before that could stand out to them that he's a guy who can talk because i think that most people think of him in the work horseman where he gets kind of in some ways personality outshined by anthony henry um just because anthony henry i wouldn't wouldn't even say in some ways like anthony is just he has a lot of personality yeah. to him when he when he wants to have it. Yeah, but JD when JD Drake actually has a chance to stand up and cut a promo and be his own man, he's really he's honestly he's probably and it's you know obviously a very trite comparison because it seems to be almost the like a, the basis of a lot of his gimmick. But he is a lot like Arn Anderson in that in that regard. Great promo who gets a little bit outshined by you know the Ric Flair character who's but he, but he has like such a like believability yeah. and like conviction and everything he says is where like. Rick is like so theatrical or whatever, but you kind of feel what James Rick is saying more. Right. And this might be the first time that anyone's ever truly compared Anthony Henry to Ric Flair, but you know, hey, this that's why you're not going to get this, that anywhere else. Yeah, that's why you, that's why you come to this podcast. Um, so yeah, so coming out of it, I don't know any other big takeaways you have coming out of it, out of the show. I mean, like just just a question. I mean, like I thought the show, I thought the show was good. I thought Riddle versus Gulak was good. I, I thought I liked it a little bit less. Than their um match from NXT TV this year. I'm not sure you saw. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. But I've also, 
Yeah, I don't think I've ever loved the Gulak Riddle pairing in in the ring though. So I I didn't have like sky high expectations just because I remember I remembered in Evolve like they were good, but I just never loved them together the same way like Matt Riddle and like Hot Sauce were so yes. good together. Riddle and Gulak weren't exactly the same thing. No. Um, no, and it's funny because one- because Gulak yeah. worked with Hot Sauce because the the teacher student thing worked really well, but Riddle doesn't have that kind of student mentality to where you can do a real teacher student match with him that works you know he just doesn't even the matches with with hero where you could try to play off of something like that it doesn't even work that way riddle just doesn't have that riddle is ronin he does not have a master you know (laughs) um so i guess my takeaway is obviously this aired on the wwe network how like realistically how many more eyes were on like on evolve like actually watching the show then I guess what your typical Evolve um, stream is usually getting. Do you think this was something significant that is going to be boosting Evolve's profile, maybe back to what it once was as far as streaming and buzz online? Do you think this is just more of a thank you for everything you've done for the wrestling scene to Gabe Sapolsky and this is like more of just, like just a one-off that isn't is really going to help anything? Where, where, are you, where are you at on this? I think... I don't think it helps, honestly. I really don't think it helps their prevalence in any way. I think unless it becomes that they are a lot more integrated into the WWE family, which I assume that they will be, and they'll just do more of their shows on WWE, and even are on the network. But even to that point, I don't think that that boosts them much, because I think most of the people who were going to start paying attention to them because of the WWE network already are. Or, you know, the WWE connection already are. And I think that... People like me and you have probably disappeared from paying attention to Evolve um, because of kind of the turn that it's taken. So I don't know that this really helps them get anyone connected more. And I do think that there's also still going to be a group of people who don't take them seriously, no matter what, um, who are just those WWE purists. So I think like this is fucking crazy, but I, I, I heard someone in a podcast and they were like, talking derisively to one of their co-hosts on the show about like oh if it was Sammy Gravara versus whoever you would have said it was great like in comparison to a match that was like on a um on Extreme Rules which was also this weekend right Extreme Rules was that yeah yeah so yeah this was a big weekend um like really kind of like shitting on someone for being like oh you think you're just too cool to just like WWE or whatever and I think that that same attitude gets presented some people treat NXT that way there's like mainstream WWE main product nights who like even talk shit on w- on NXT even though it's owned by WWE like if you like it you're just trying to be cool and you think you're too good for John Cena. Um and I think that Evolve is going to get even bigger of that backlash. Even if they're on the network, I think that people will still be like, "Oh, why can't you just why can't you just watch, you know, fucking Finn Balor, I guess, you know, have a, the best match of the year against Seth Rollins? Why why do you have to, you know, pay attention to evolve so that you can see leon ruff like how is he better like you know so i don't think that this helps them i really don't because i think that the people who are going to care about evolve because they have a connection to wwe already do and making it that much Mm. easier by just having it on the network isn't going to attract too many people to pay attention to it because if those people would would pay attention at all they already would be and i just don't think being on the network is going to get those people because it's weird there is a segment of the base who like of the WWE fan base who like think that anything that's not WWE is like elitist or the other side of it is like, they think it's too, too fucking, you know, indie or too small. 
to minor league and they don't want to watch anything minor league. It's like, it's a weird mix. It's like people either like judge non WWE product for being like the fans of it are elitists or like they're rubes for not wanting to watch the, you know, the platinum, you know, version of sports entertainment. So yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it helps. Do you think it helps? I mean, no, like, like the whole, like the whole vibe of it felt like it was the game, like the Gabe Sapolsky appreciation night. Even, like even down to like typical Gabe, like, and Gabe gets this from Paul Heyman, the two obviously, but you know the whole yeah we're gonna have this big event and close the show, but wait we're gonna have an angle to close it too, and and like and like even like in the big moments we're never letting people like fully get over or fully get what they are like Austin Theory versus um JD Drake didn't close the show, but this is like your evolved champ, this is your it's guy, a title the guy that's for gonna title. be on every show. Yeah, it's like yeah, title for title, like unification. Like this is like the biggest thing in the world for you. And immediately after Austin Theory's promo, out comes Josh Briggs to come choke slam him for what? To set to, like to set it up when you could have just announced it on the next show and that would have been just fine. Yeah. So it just felt like the game supposed to appreciation night. Um, seeing Paul Heyman come out and all that. He doesn't. He, he never really mentions. Gabe by name or anything, but you know Gabe being a Heyman protege and uh, how much of Gabe's work has been influenced by Paul Heyman. It was a nice, it was a nice moment for it to see Paul come out there and talk to the crowd and do some ring announcing. But it really just felt like an appreciation night more than we're gonna use this platform to springboard and do other things. Right, and and if I'm going to, I'm gonna continue the theme of making uh, comparisons that no one has ever made before. Uh, Paul Heyman is Samoa Joe and, and Gabe is the proto J lethal. So, uh, so yeah, but they don't, <laughs> oh, they don't ever uh, reference that. Uh, like they don't, I guess it's not, I mean, has that now I'm trying to think if that's ever been like outwardly openly referenced in w, within WWE Canon. So it's odd. It was odd to have him just show up. You know what I mean? For without really explaining the connection. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, so like you would think that Paul would at least like talk, like touched on it. Like I've known Gabe for however long, and he used to be um, helping me with ECW in some capacity, and seeing what he's done from other promotion, other promotions. And you don't got to name like everything else. Like you don't got to name ROH. You don't got to name dropping DG USA. I'm just saying like I've been paying attention to Gabe and everything he's done since ECW has ended, and he's been continuing the tradition. And thank you for Gabe for upholding a legacy of like of, of extreme or some corny dumb shit. But like. He's like he doesn't touch on it at all, and I just I just thought it was super weird. Right, you know what I did like though, what I thought was a, a touch, and I don't remember if it was on the real show or if I saw it on social media somewhere. I think it was on, or if it was like on one of the build up things. Was was Daniel Bryan talking about uh, Evolve, and I came up with the name, and and as a like a really hardcore nerdy fan, remembering the history of Evolve and all that yeah. stuff, that was a cool little thing, and it's just it's so fun because that it play it reminds me of. You know the Daniel Bryan interviews before the Cruiserweight Classic stuff, where you're getting that peek in the background, and, and it's always interesting to hear Daniel talk about his history of, with with stuff because he's, it feels like he's so authentic and so true. Like it, the stuff just because I can verify it because a lot of his history when he's talking about the stuff is stuff that I remember, but also the fact that what he says and like you know he talks about stuff in his book and a lot of that was like very true to what you remember at the time dirt sheets and, and the history and everything like that but then on top of that like that in the history of wrestling even in the context of fucking like you know a promo package video or whatever like 
the stuff that he says is is like 100% verifiable by by me who in the moment can remember it's really cool yeah but like by nerds like us that like watch all those watch all those old interviews and remember like old forum posts and shit like that like when Brian says something we're like oh yeah that like yeah I remember that yeah happening. and it's just like it's really cool to know like he's 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 authentic when he's you know cutting these kind of backstage interview type stuff you're just like god you know like it's it's it really adds a lot of credibility to to him and to his stuff just to have him talk about it. The only thing that could have made it better was right after him, they should have had Davy Richards pop in and talk about how he was supposed to take over for Brian, but he disappeared so that he could go be a nurse or something, right? <laughs> he was supposed to be the he was going to be the second Daniel Bryan to evolve. I'm going to bail. I'm going to bail and go. I'm going to bail and go do Impact. Yeah, now. exactly. Right. I'm going to I'm going to go get Angelina Love pregnant. Um, um, which I will always hold a grudge against him for that, not because I'm jealous. Life, life, life worked out pretty well for him. Yeah, but just because you know, just because uh, he ruined the the beautiful people. They were such a hot act at the time. No. Um, so okay, fight for the fallen. You saw nothing from that. Yeah, yeah, didn't see anything. It, I mean, the big takeaway, honestly, is just that like this fucking ridiculous tag team between um, Jungle Boy and uh, and Luchasaurus has taken the fuck off, which is crazy because okay judas devlin um which is luchasaurus he felt like the epitome of just like a failed wwe signing guy um you know rovert posted about it which i don't know how many people knew this or not already but that he was a big part of the 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 uh, democracy movement thing which is a kevin matthews uh, hashtag but um Judas Devlin was the guy who posted, like, or sent the anonymous, I guess it was an anonymous, he put his name on it, but the first letter that talked about the shit that Bill DeMott was doing in Deep South Wrestling. Um, Eva Lise also was involved in that. People get over, over look or forget about that part. Um, when she was in developmental, she was one of the people who also um, sent out some kind of letter talking about stuff. I think Taya Valkyrie, but I can't say 100%, and that I might be making that up. Um, but I definitely know that those two were, for sure. Um, and he just felt like he was a WWE trainee school washout. I've seen him wrestle here and there in Southern California. He's, you know, shows up at the bar wrestling shows from time to time. Um, some of the smaller shows even here in, in, uh, Southern California, like MPW places like that. Um, and not Maryland pro. Um, I think it's millennium or Maverick pro out here. Um, and you know with or without the luchasaurus gimmick over the years but just seemed like a guy that was never going to be anything and then fucking out of nowhere he's like the guy he's got this kid you know luke perry's son jungle boy um and somehow this fucking act is just over like rover in uh in aew that was kind of the biggest takeaway coming out of the the show at least as far as i was concerned Sema and kenny omega um both fucking still continue to be amazing um I feel like I'm not going to hate on or argue with um, the the guy over on the Everything Evolve or Everything Elite podcast. Um, I know his Twitter name. I can't remember his real name, but Fuji Aya, um, who says he's the... Oh, um, the, yes, Mike Spears. Mike Spears, he, yeah. like, d- Does a lot of good stuff. Yeah, yeah. and he, can, he you know, talks about himself as the, 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 the head of the Shima for Hoff bandwagon or whatever and i think if he's the head i think me and you are definitely right there behind him uh i think me and you have both been talking about sema oh oh yeah we've been we've been we've been pushing that one for for, for years now. Since, since was, yeah, since, yeah since since yeah since he was made available on the ballot right i think i remember talking to dylan about you know putting together the argument to give to email directly to um 
Meltzer to put him on the fucking ballot. You know what I mean? Like, so I was like proto even like talking about that this guy should be, and it, and I don't think it's fucking insane. And and if AEW continues the way it's going, and this you know OEW and his boys continue to have an impact and a big part of this, I think it just it's just icing on the cake for what's already a legendary Hall of Fame career. But he continues to show just how fucking awesome he is having a great match with Kenny Omega, which is you know not like that's a, a big feat to have a great match with Kenny Omega in in 2019, but he still did it at you know at his age. So uh, all the props in the world. What I, what I, what I've been hearing is like people are really impressed with like how rapidly the less established guys and the younger guys are getting over. So your MJFs, your uh, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, your Darby Allen, your Marco Stunt, Sammy Guevara, like apparently those guys are like gotten super over and it's only a few shows yeah and it and it's it really speaks to the issues that wwe has so many of the the people in wwe feel like they've been there forever there's nothing new and exciting you know there's you know the lost it's fucking crazy because the lost generation of wwe wrestlers dolph ziggler kofi kingston feel like Seamus. you know those guys in that from that era you know matt seidel um chris masters so many of them are gone but the ones who have stuck around now it's like they just have to pretend like they're stars <laughs> because they've been there so long even though they're not still and like kofi kingston's the only one who feels legitimate as the champion and the way that he's been protected and the fact that new day became something with like kind of being connected with younger acts but like a lot of the other guys that are like now at the top of the card feel like the retreads who've been there for fucking ever because they have been and they're not important so it just shows that there's a huge segment of the fan base who are just ready to be excited about anything new and interesting and so AEW is just cashing in on that are they making the right choices are they picking out the right talent I mean undoubtedly yes they're picking out people yeah so far yeah. like Mark, like Marco Darby MJF Sammy Guevara Jungle Boy like like I, like I can't imagine them doing even better than what they've done so far yeah and I couldn't I mean, maybe maybe this is all revisionist history. Maybe I just think more highly of myself. But if you had asked me maybe two years ago, those are all people who I would have told you, yes, these people can become stars. Maybe Darby is the only one that I didn't 100% see two years ago. But I think maybe at least but a even, year But ago. even then, like, I was, yeah, but I, I was always a Darby guy. Right. And me and you used to go back and forth on Darby all the time. Right. And I liked him so, early I know, on. I just, yeah. I kind of got, I got annoyed with him for a little bit. But yeah. So I think, like, me and you, we were big on Sammy Guevara. Oh, yes. Even, like, when we were, like, like even, like, in Texas, we were big on Sammy. Darby, I was big on. Sammy, uh, and he, you were a little iffy on. MJF, we've been talking about, like, for a couple of years now, too. Like, even if he's not the best in-ring guy, we were like, oh, yeah, like, this guy's going to be TV-ready as soon oh, as yeah. someone gives him a live microphone. Well, my, my talking like, point for MJF for, like, the past year and a half has always been that I think he's a better worker than people give him credit for, and he's a worse promo than people give him credit for, which is to say he's a more rounded wrestler. You know what I mean? I think that he's yeah. better all around than people had realized, and it's just coming to show. I think he hasn't been actually given chances to have great matches yet, too. Right. Which is, like, people are going to point to, like, oh, MJF hasn't has had a great match. I can't point to any promotion where he's been, like, consistently booked as a top guy or putting matches to showcase his abilities as a worker no. but if it so it feels a little unfair to always harp on mjf isn't that great in the ring yet when it feels like he hasn't gotten a chance he hasn't gotten a chance to be well in his feud with joey janela across um czw and mlw produced some really good matches so to s- did you see um mjf versus um lp from uh oh, from rev pro a few no, months no, ago i didn't see that yeah like i like again horrible pairing on paper mm-hmm. 
somehow somehow generated a really good match. I have a very and, strict no uh, ELP matches outside of attack, so I guess I'll have to watch <laughs> this. And then he has um, a dog collar match or a chain match or whatever versus Ethan Page yes, from uh, Alpha One. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't I didn't love it, but I liked some of the ideas in it and. Again, people talk about MJF being a throwback. Like, he felt right at home for the most part in a match like that. And Ethan Page is the perfect guy for him to be across from in a setting like that. But Yeah, I mean, big, yeah, match, like even, big match yeah. Page. I mean, Ethan Page delivers in big-time gimmick matches now. He used to suck. He used to be really bad in gimmick matches. But over the past, like, two years, Ethan Page in a big-time gimmick blow-off match, he's awesome. So, so now I'm thinking, like, some, like, people that are unsigned, it's like, I don't know, like, who... AEW is like missing out on big time. Like what, Freddie Ahai? Like like that's like a, like like out of everybody I'm thinking of right now, right. he's like the he's like he's the one that I know. Like nobody has signed yet. I think David Starr is out here turning down deals at this right. point. So David Starr isn't there yet. But when you look at it, like they they have pretty much everybody that should be available, and they they, they brought really good gets, and they're all getting over super organically, and it's great to see. Yeah, and it's all people that I would have told you were can't miss prospects until they showed up in nxt and they changed their name to cameron grimms and you know what i mean and then they have them losing in some <laughs> random fucking jobber tournament not job, but you know fresh faces tournament like totally like these are all guys who just a couple years ago i think we both would have said these are can't miss stars like sammy Guevara, you mentioned it but for years i was saying that marco stunt maybe not my guy maybe i think logan's better i don't know i mean you know i but, Mar- but marco but, has like an undeniable like presence and charisma exactly too. there's no way that you can doubt that this guy can do something he he hits the right time you know and fuck i mean even paul Heyman to bring it back to what we we're talking about paul Heyman, lou e dangerously initially was called that because of what michael the michael keaton fucking movie where he was uh I can't even remember what it was like. Some fucking bullshit, like, um, uh, thriller type movie where the guy's last name was Dangerous. Um, and that was like, the concept was he looked like Michael Keaton, which actually young Paul Heyman did kind of look like Michael Keaton. Yeah, it checked out. But he happened to like come at the right time culturally. He had this gimmick. He looked kind of like someone and he played off of that gimmick and he was playing like kind of the slick Wall Street guy with the big cell phone and, you know, it doesn't hurt that he's Jewish, so he can play up that side of it, you know, of, of the gimmick as well. And, like, it's not insane to then say, like, Marco Stunt. He shows up, and he looks like one of the Stranger Things kids at the same time that Stranger Things is super fucking popular. And it all just comes together, <laughs> and it works. But that's not, to, that's not to denigrate him. You know what I mean? Like, it's really not... You know, I've never, I've never, I've never thought, about thought of it. Marco Stunt as looking like one of the Stranger Things kids. But it, that that does check he does. out, <laughs> and and so it's just like that's again that's not to be because de- we were talking about fucking Paul Heyman is in charge of Raw, you know what I mean? He's the head writer of Raw. He's built a pretty good career off of him, off of himself, based on like his first breakout being like, hey, you kind of look like Michael Keaton, you know, like, hey, you kind of look like one of the kids from Stranger Things. That doesn't mean anything bad about Marco, but that sometimes is enough. People will get into you because of something like that, and that just happens to be what happened, you know. So. It is what it is. Big weekend. Big weekend. A lot of stuff happened, but I think I don't know. You want to talk about Peter Pan at all? Did you have you did you watch it live? Uh yeah, I'll talk about um Extreme Rules a little okay. bit and Peter Pan. Extreme Rules, um It sounds bad. Mostly good show. Was it good? It, it was okay. mostly good. It, in in ring it was good. Okay. Um obviously there's going to be bad matches that people talk about like your 
Drew McIntyre and Shane McMahon versus Roman Reigns and Undertaker. That was bad. Uh, Becky and Seth Rollins versus Corbin and Lacey Evans. Like that was that wasn't good. When I go through the rest of the card, uh, AJ versus Ricochet was good. Samoa Joe versus Kofi Kingston. I liked I liked more than I thought I would. Cesaro versus Aleister Black fucking rocked. Like I like I'm obviously both those guys are great wrestlers, but we weren't sure like how much they were going to be showcased in that. And that match was fantastic. Um, Usos versus the Revival was a good match, and those those are two of the best teams in WWE. So you knew, at like at minimum, they were gonna have a good match. Um, the Triple Threat tag t- Triple Threat for the match for the tag titles: uh, Brian and Rowan versus the New Day versus uh, Heavy Machinery. That had a really awesome closing stretch with uh, Daniel Bryan and Big E going at it. So so I think people are gonna highlight more the negative stuff, but I. I didn't hate my time watching this show. Okay. I mean, there's some stuff in there that sounds really good. Cesaro Black sounds like something I'd like to check out. You'll, 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 you'll love Cesaro Black. Yeah, Ricochet. And I, you, and you, yeah. I think Ricochet is one of these guys who, like, I, I said it with Tyler Bate in the past, I think that the WWE setting is actually going to be good for him, even as someone who's, like, I don't think that there's a more ardent, like, just non-fan of WWE. I'm not one of these, like, WWE dump-on guys. I will give them the respect that they deserve when they have good stuff. I think I'm pretty fair about that, but I just it's just not for me. Like, overall, they don't really present a product that I care about, but I do think that Ricochet is a guy who could definitely make it in that setting, and it seems like he's doing pretty well for himself there, which is impressive. No, he, he's, been, he's, been, he's been given AJ Styles' first feud since turning heel. Like, clearly they like Ricochet. Yeah, and he feels like a guy that just a few years ago where Vince was a little bit more kind of, I guess, like entrenched in only going with what he believes in is a guy that he would completely overlook. But not necessarily a guy that he would hate. You know what I mean? That's the thing about Vince that I think that people kind of overblow. And this is the perfect place to talk about this with you, Quentin. Is uh, <laughs> I think that people overblow the idea that Vince is racist. Um, in that, like, mm. yes, he's definitely hmm. racist. But I don't think he's a but, clan but you're saying, member. Like, but you're saying, like, ha- but you're saying, like, how racist Yeah, he is. I don't think he's a clan member. You know what I mean? But I do think that, like, I definitely would say Vince McMahon prefers the company of whites. Right, I would I would say that a hundred percent. If he was if he had his choice, he would only hang out with white people. Um, but I don't think that he like hates anybody who's not white. But like it's just he's just gonna like kind of like just be a little bit uncomfortable, not be as I, sympathetic I, to them. I think he's I think he's firmly anti-immigration for sure. But that's a different firmly story anti-immig- because that's like wrapped up in the conservative side of things where it's like protectionism. Okay. Ism. Like, I could guarantee that Vince would be one of these people who's like, uh, you know, Jinder Mahal did it the right way. You know what I mean? Like, one of these people who's right, like, right, if right. you applied for your visa and you worked hard and all this, then it's totally fine. Even though, you know... He- even though, like, you t- even though, like, you totally missed, like, how, like, hard of a process, like, getting, like, you're getting your green yes. card and, like, all that stuff, like, actually is. Right. And the fact that, like, how many people, like, are really doing what it's not even considered illegal in a lot of senses or, but are just like kind of infractions. They're not like true, like um, criminal acts, but just like minor infractions on the way. You know what I mean? It's like, what do they say? The, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's like, you're just like mm. kind of slowly or making decisions where it's like, you know, you forget to renew the tags on your car. You know what I mean? Like you just slowly do stupid shit until you end up in a place where it's like, I wasn't, oh, fuck, I fucked up. I shouldn't be here anymore. And now it's like, how do I fucking leave? There's so many things that just happen. But yeah, I 
I don't think that if you ask Vince McMahon flat out, like, you know, if, if black people are lazy or something, that he would say yes. But I do think that, like, if you framed the questions in the right way, he would imply that he believes something along those lines. You know what I mean? It's like, it's that kind of okay. guy. It's like his his underlying beliefs are that, but his aversion or, like, kind of the way that you get there is not racially based. It's, it, it is, but it's... I don't know. This is not necessarily the conversation I meant to get in off onto, but I do think that just a few years ago, Vince McMahon does not push Ricochet, not just because he's black or half black, but also because of his size, also because he's a little bit goofy. It's it's really interesting because Ricochet is one of these guys who's like really photogenic, and but also like super nerdy and goofy looking. So like he's like he's a, he's a perfect WWE guy in the sense of like they can take him anywhere. Yes. Like. They can put Ricochet in these suits and parade parade them all around daytime television, or they can give him showcase matches, give him a whole bunch of YouTube stuff and documentary stuff. People would watch it. He has a very he's a very market marketable guy. Yes, and he's got the Batista thing too, which is like I, you know, he is half black, half white. He's mixed race, but he's also like ambiguously race racial enough to where like you could present him as puerto rican you know what i mean like you could you could get you away could do, you could do whatever you want yeah with you could get away with being like actually you know his mom is greek <laughs> like you could do whatever you want with ricochet <laughs> and people will just buy into it um similarly to what they did with batista because batista was presented in foreign markets as being from basically every country like you know so like i think you could do a similar thing with with ricochet and he does look great in a suit they've also got him set up with like probably the most presentable young girl he happens to be dating um cat canazaro or whatever like that's a great couple for them to present which might be the next thing it seems like it's really funny to think about it because wrestling couples were kind of becoming the rage on the indies all the wrestling couples were even like getting booked in tag team tournaments against yeah, each other who, who was who was it that was doing um that? i remember ryan smile and alex windsor were involved in something with that but they were trying to put together yeah some yeah someone was booking like an actual like tech like wrestling couples tournament and I don't, i'm not sure if that actually happened there was definitely but some, someone was yeah someone was booking someone did someone it. was booking one in europe with UK couples. And then there was also one that was being booked in America. I don't know if either one happened because there was one that was going to have Maria Maniac and Slack, which might have happened, but I don't pay that much attention to either of them to know if it did happen. Um, and I don't think the UK one ever did happen, but I do know that there was like a small Southern indie that did one for sure that happened. But I didn't watch that either because I think it was a company that doesn't even make tape. But, you know, that was like all the rage for a while. People were talking about wrestling couples. Wrestling couples were wrestling against each other pretty regularly. I know that um, Defiant or what Culture Pro Wrestling did, it wasn't like a whole tournament, but they did like some teases of stuff with uh, B and they did, Osprey um, against... Yeah they, yeah, they did like Osprey and B versus uh, Tessa and Ricochet yes. at one point. Yeah, so, so there was... That was all the thing. It's just, it's funny to see that now it seems like that's becoming a thing in WWE. Like of all the things for WWE to steal from the indies, they steal couples doing fucking mixed gender matches right like it's so not not only not only that it's like they actually let baron corbin like hit becky lynch with a move like who <laughs> was like oh shit yeah, like, and like and like you know like but like the wwe like uh mixed mixed tags have always been okay the man the man tags in you gotta tag the other man in the woman tags in you got like you gotta do it you can't hit the other right. person and he just like I think it was, like they it was a no DQ match so they couldn't like uh, like enforce that rule so I think that's how they got around it. It was like he just hits the end of days and I'm like oh holy shit. Well I mean they did do um, intergender 
tags like in the past, you know, like Attitude Era. Yeah, but yeah, but, but yeah, like they haven't done that forever. It's been like mixed tags, what they call them, right? Um, mm. But yeah, like yeah, they just full on do it. They were teasing stuff with um, with Moxley and um, and uh, what's her name, Nia Jax, and you know she hit some stuff on him, but nothing really going the other way. Um, so yeah, but it it's it's very interesting to just think about that because Ricochet back to Ricochet, Ricochet with the Ninja Warrior is a, a really a really big time marketable couple for them. Honestly, those two, like you could send them anywhere, put them on the cover of any magazines, all that stuff. Um, but I would be remiss if we didn't get to the G one at least somewhat. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Let me uh, just real quick with Peter Pan. Um, with, oh yeah, yes, 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 sorry. Yeah, um, Takashita versus Endo uh, in the main event. An incredible match. One of my one of my favorite matches of the year. Um, you made. Um, I mean, I, I'm about to say you made him. You made is about to leave for his family business. Um, Endo is a little bit more restrained than people might be used to with him because he's getting his um he's getting worked over really um hard on his back. And I like what they I like what they do there with that. But um. Loved it, loved it, loved it. I, w- I wasn't a big fan of Takashita winning the belt, but I've gotten to the point where I had the realization that Takashita is Masawa. Okay. And I mean that in like just like the way like the booking works and how quickly they go back to him. If you think of Takashita in the way of Masawa, like the way they keep going back to him for the belt, it makes way more sense. And people are going to get mad that Endo didn't win and that, oh my God, they keep going back to Takashita. But again, I'm gonna. I keep thinking of this in like the Masawa Masawa Kawada way. Yeah. If you think of it that way, it it makes sense why Takashita wins and Endo Holy keeps losing. That's that's shit. all. Yes. Like yeah, that's all. That's all I'm gonna say there. Um, Hideki Suzuki versus Yukio Naya. Uh, Yukio Naya just jumped to DDT from Real Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm pretty sure, and they just beat the shit out of each other. You sh- you would love this. Yeah. I would definitely. I would definitely tell you to watch this when you go back and watch Peter Pan and the Higuchi and Nakatsu versus Yumeida and uh, Iwasaki tag on um, the first generation DNA boys. Me and you were big on the DNA guys and on the first generation. So I know that that match will mean something to you and you'll really like that. And Akito versus Asuka in the one light two match is super creative <laughs> and super fun. It, it was awesome. Yeah. And in a uh, super science Dango machine versus uh, Sanshihiro Takagi Takagi literally gets his blood drawn in, in the match and I'm so and I'm someone that's like, I've, I've seen my my share of death matches I've seen some insane things seeing someone get their blood drawn made me so fucking uncomfortable like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was one of the wildest things I've ever seen but um, that's it that's it for Peter Pan for me nice. yeah it sounds good I, I'll probably end up watching most of Peter Pan honestly um, just cause there's usually a lot of good stuff there, and Peter Pan is never is usually not as long as as uh, Judgment. Like, how long is Peter Pan? How long was this Peter Pan? Like, was it under four hours? Um, I don't. I, I'm 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 gonna be honest. I wound up like falling asleep. Okay. okay. Um, for the tag match, but I'm looking at it here. One, two, three. It's a it's a pretty good amount of matches, okay. but uh, everything goes by fairly quick. The problem here is they ran like three intermissions. Like, yes. yeah, it was like like three. It was like three, two or three intermissions. I'm like, oh, like fuck this! Like, I can't, I can't stay up for this. It's crazy. If they just like, pl- yeah. yeah, if they just like plowed through it, I would have been able to stay up for the entire show. But they like took an intermission before they did. Um, I think it was uh, the tag title match of uh, 
Hirano and Hiroshima versus uh, Tasaki and uh, Soma. And it took an intermission. I'm like, oh, man, fuck this. I'm out. Yeah. But like, if it wasn't for that, I would have been able to make it through the entire show. Because other than that, it was a breeze. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, that's always the thing with DDT. It's really interesting just what their business model must be like. It's it's to look at it from the outside, Um. obviously, as a, you know, a, someone who's never been to a show and also someone who is like doesn't understand the culture or the language or anything like just what the touchstone would be for running shows like they do because their shows are fucking insane like they run long ass shows like judgment day shows go like six hours sometimes and it's like Mm. what are the fans doing like why what is with this fan base that this is what they want but i don't know maybe it's who knows like i really couldn't even say culturally i just don't i don't get it um a hundred percent. So okay. So this is not a comparison. This is maybe not a oh, as wild of a comparison as the comparisons that we've been making this night. But Endo as Kawada, Takashita as Masawa, Ishikawa like, is was... Tawe. Could be. Is, I mean, is that the that's, that's the guy who makes kind of makes sense? I don't know. I, I'm just I'm trying to spitball this. Yeah, but that, like now now I'm like I don't even know like who Kabashi <laughs> yeah, would be. Yeah, Kabashi is like... the weirdest one because I'm thinking Higuchi, but he doesn't. Ha- fit. Hara- Hara- Hiroshima's definitely Jumbo. Yes. Oh, yes. Without a doubt. Um, Hiroshima's definitely Jumbo. And, like, okay, so Takashita, Masawa, Endo, Kawada. Mm, you could say Sasaki. You, you, you could say Sasaki is Tawei because there's some yeah. people, like, you know, like, like they'll be like, oh, yeah, Tawei was the best pillar. There are people that will tell you, like, oh, yeah, Sasaki's the best wrestler in DDT. Right, right. So, yeah, that makes more sense. I was saying Ishikawa just because of the height. Right, so I don't know. Like Kabashi, we'll have to figure that one out. Kibashi, uh, the, tweet, I want Kabashi yeah. to be Higuchi, but he's the wrong generation. You know, he doesn't fit. Yeah, but yeah. So all right, so tweet us, tweet, tweet us, and email us your your um suggestions for who would be the Kobashi of the DDT four yes, pillars. Right now we got three pillars, and I don't want it to be the Musketeers because then we have to re we have to move all this stuff around, and then I think Mad Polly has to be Muda, right? Um, all right, yep. so. But 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 think about it though. Like, if you, like not obviously not in talent levels, but think of Takashida versus Endo as Masawa Kawada. Doesn't it make so oh, much yeah. more sense? Oh yeah, especially the fact that it took so long for Endo to finally get the belt. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's very similar. Um, it is. I mean, there is. If you think about like the difference of aggression, like the idea that that to me Kawada was always the more mischievous, aggressive kind of, and you kind of mix that into. More of just like being shitty, not necessarily like violent. It fits as well with Endo. Endo's kind of character comes across just more of like a shitty. He has, he really has at, more of a Kawada vibe. At, at least, at least in his early heel, earlier heel work, I'm not sure if he's gonna still if he's gonna, if he's been like that um, that much. Like right. he's been sort of working babyface yeah, yeah. for for, for, most, for most of the year. But like his first, but his stuff when he first turns, like he's super shitty towards people. Right, exactly. So just like yeah, kind of being shitty, um, definitely definitely makes sense in the in that regard all right so we got to dig into this g1 because we've already been <laughs> going for an hour on something that was not even supposed to be part of the show really um unless is there anything else that we missed wet hot american summer 321 uh-huh. battle i haven't watched it yet everyone should watch it obviously they have to watch uh-huh. dan versus thatcher yeah dan, dan versus thatcher three um if i had to rank the three matches they've had so far together i'd say the one from 2017 is still like easily first okay. um the one from this year, the 2019 one, I'd have second, and the 2018 one, I'd have last. But they're all 
extremely great matches. Love it, and someone should probably put a playlist together for them on YouTube yes. once the um, third match comes out on there. Um, other stuff, David Starr versus Pitfall Jones was fun, and Cold Crazy versus B-Boy in a career versus career match in 3-2-1, mm-hmm. like, goes really fucking long. Like, I was I was shocked. Like, at first, I was, like, theorizing because uh, Cold Crazy versus B-Boy happens right before Dan versus... Um, Thatcher, I think, you know, they were like, man, they, they went really long here. And then it felt like Thatcher versus Dan went relatively quick. And I'm like, man, did those two going so long take time away from Dan versus Thatcher? But like, that was just a theory. I'm not even sure if that's actually true. But yeah, B-Boy versus Cole is good, but it just goes on for ages and ages. But yeah, definitely go out, go out and watch Dan versus Thatcher from the show. That's, I mean, to me, that's always been an issue with B-Boy that I've seen, especially on tape. Um, I found that live b-boy matches feel faster, better, <laughs> I guess I would say. Um, he's definitely an in-the-building kind of guy who, like, you get a lot more from him seeing him in person. And matches that you'll then watch back on tape will feel super long comparatively to how they felt in the building. But his matches do go longer now, and I'm, I'm here for it. I think b-boy's awesome. So I could definitely see that that would be really good. Like I said, I saw Steve West, Sue Young. I thought that that was really good. I'd recommend that, too. You yeah, I like that too. Yeah, yeah, I would say definitely for people who aren't paying attention, check it out. This is the you know second biggest show of the year. This might be the best show of the year for them. Um, just like on paper, the matches here are awesome. Um, so yeah, so let's get into this G one. So we already reviewed night one, um, which was the big show in Texas. Now we're on night two here. They open up G one action with Juice Robinson versus Shingo Takage. Um, I'd probably call this the match of the night. Um, similar to the first night, I, I thought that this was interesting because I, I said it in the Slack, but I'll say it here just so everyone can hear my brilliant takes. But if you look at the night one and the night two compare, like comparatively to, to each other as mirrors, they really were super mirrored. You had a junior heavyweight going against a heavyweight wrestler who's kind of positioned as an all-time loser, like a guy who's not like a big-time you know, thought of as a top-level guy, but someone who's maybe on their trajectory up. Um, they have killer fucking matches. They end up really stealing the shows in a lot of ways, having the best matches of the night. Um, Juice Robinson, Shingo, I thought, yeah, just really good back and forth between the two, really stiff stuff. It was interesting because you would think that the way that something like this would go would be um, Juice, the, you know, established heavyweight, helping to establish and kind of give some legitimacy to Shingo, but it really felt the other way around. It felt like that Shingo's kind of brute force and violence helped to like give add a little bit more legitimacy to juice in the win um yeah so this was, was solid stuff i give it you know three and a quarter um yeah good good action from both guys great back and forth good babyface selling obviously from from juice yeah I, I don't know i don't know i don't know if it was just me being um generous but i really like i really loved it especially um like i said these two just really hit the shit out of each other it felt like one of those great never matches and I really like the violence and physicality here. Like, obviously, like, that's Shingo's calling card. But I think Juice's uh, reliability in that department kind of gets overlooked because he's more thought of as, like, the good old-fashioned baby face. But Juice held his own there in um, a big bomb-throwing fest, and I, I really loved it. Yeah, I'm with you. And like I said, I thought it was the, the match of the night. What did you? What rating would you give it? I think it, I think I went four on it. I, I really okay. liked it. Yeah, so you liked it more than me, but, but still, I think we both liked it. Or, I mean, you gave it a higher rating than me. That's the weird thing. I... Pete used to always do that on This Week in Wrestling, so you liked it more than me. And I was like, I don't know if that's true. I may just rate things differently than you. Um, mm. But yeah. But uh, but yeah. So next match coming up, Moxley to Taichi. Fine. Um, Moxley has been very interesting and good, honestly, in this. I've, I've 
I've liked the vibe of his stuff, and this was a good um, setting for it here. It didn't uh, it didn't have a bunch of stuff before or after it, or directly before or directly after it that felt similar. Um, tai Chi looked good. Tai Chi has also looked really good throughout the tournament, which is another one where you're talking about kind of people delivering in situations or delivering more than you would expect. Uh, two and three quarter star for the match itself. Um, like I said, I think that that's that might sound bad to a lot of people. We talked about kind of me and you and our, our ideas of how star ratings work, but to me, that's a good match. That's a, a really good match, um, and especially from these two guys in like the second match of the you know the first night of the G one and two guys who are like really you know questionable on how they're going to deliver. Well, it. Yeah, for first night of the, first night of the G one in Japan. Yeah, and 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 is it Tai Chi? It's not Tai Chi's first G one, is it? It's definitely Moxley's first. Um, I think I think it is. because yeah, so I remember Tai Chi. Yeah, Tai Chi was in it last yeah. year, and Tai Chi was a junior for a while. Yeah, so you know, both guys are debuting in the G one here against each other, and they deliver a really solid match that feels different and stands out. Um, like Naito versus Yano, I, I can't like it, it was fun, but I'm not sure you have like a bunch of thoughts on that one. I honestly kind of do, but not like a ton. Okay. Um, just good. It was good. It was fun, and I liked it a lot. But this match should have been booked on night 10. You know what I mean? Like this match would have been awesome later in the tournament. And that's the unfortunate part about Yano is that unfortunately he has to have matches for the whole tournament and kind of having his comic relief and breaks and stuff like this. that's quick and interesting um, is a really nice reprieve when you're kind of worn down from the G1, but early on in the tournament, it doesn't feel necessary yet, but I did really especially, like, especially, especially, especially such a big, like it's such a big scalp. Too. Yes, exactly. Which I guess, I guess it's going to like be what we get into. When we talk about the G1 booking after running down the matches, but it was definitely a little bit weirder when Yano's big wins usually come later on in the middle of the tournament or to be a spoiler to somebody. And he doesn't do that to start it off. No. So it was, it was different than how it usually is. Yeah. I, I give it a two and a half. I thought it was, it was really good for what it was, but you know, didn't, I didn't love it. Uh, yeah, one about the same thing. Yeah, next match was probably so far the biggest disappointment of the tournament for me. Cobb versus Ishii after having a really cool angle that I've heard was kind of done on the fly. Um, it was called in the ring angle between Cobb and Ishii on the first night. I don't know if you heard that, but that was the reports that were going yeah. around, um, which was really cool. And it felt like, oh, these guys have really good chemistry. But then they get in here. And it's not even that it's bad, but comparatively, when you talked about like the Jay White Ishii match and how that was really good, and I, I honestly am with you that it's the match of the tournament so far. Um, like, the reason why this doesn't work is is the the opposite reason is that Cobb just like leans into the worst fucking tropes of Ishii's like dick measuring bullshit, which I just can't stand. And so mm-hmm. it just like you just get a lot of that and. It makes less sense, <laughs> honestly. Like it's it's it makes sense in the Jay White match for Jay White to act like a shitty underdog heel, but in this match, like Cobb is just such a fucking thoroughbred. He should just beat the fuck out of him, and he does at times. And and Cobb honestly looks better than he did even just a few years ago. I mean, I was distraught after I saw Cobb versus Suzuki and what Suzuki did to my beautiful boy. I was just so upset. But so so what else? What I'll say here. Is I like the Cobb versus Ishii match from a couple of years ago or last year, whenever it happened over Mania weekend. I like that match a lot. Yeah, yeah. So coming in, yeah, coming into this, I was like, oh yeah, okay, like this is gonna be good again. And again, it just went into like the kind of Ishii stuff that like neither of us are like big fans of, which is just like so like the Goto versus Ishii stuff. Like I don't like that matchup at all. No. Like that is like probably like my least favorite Ishii stuff to happen during his run. And I like him in other situations where he's hitting hard, but it feels like his his selling is what's driving it 
in here it was just like felt like more just back and forth than like anyone selling really driving home like man this is a physically draining match we're hitting each other so hard it just felt like yeah we're just gonna keep doing things and it just didn't resonate for me at all yeah and i will say Cobb looks like a fucking star the crowd is definitely into him they buy into what he's doing but i don't know how long the goodwill will last if he doesn't deliver here unfortunately and in new japan i think he can get away with it in some places pwg roh are both places where i think Cobb was very lucky in that like the crowd was super receptive to what he was doing and was able to like kind of give him some some credibility and some star power that he doesn't have in a lot of other places um and i don't know that new japan will buy into this if he doesn't start giving it a little bit more and having something interesting um you know you know what i'll say and you might you're gonna you're probably gonna hate this i think elgin did a better job in his first g1 of like really establishing what he is and like, like historically, people like people like Elgin, like the big, strong, hossy white dudes, have been something that like the Japanese crowds eat up. Right. But I thought Elgin, but I thought Elgin came in in 2015 and did a way better job of establishing like what he is and what he's all about, better than what Cobb has done so that's, far. I mean, that's very fair. But that also plays into historically the issue with with Cobb is that yeah. Cobb is there's too much to him. Cobb is very unique. It's part of why I really love him. And why I'm yeah, it's, yeah, both of us really like him for that. That he's not like the typical big man monster. Like he's more Scott Steiner than he is like Vader. Right. And there's a reason why it took a long time for Scott Steiner to become popular, and then he had to just completely steal uh, fucking uh, Billy Graham shtick to get over as a top guy because people don't like that. Like you know, me and you like that, but most people don't like collegiate wrestler who's like. Somehow he's the fucking the beast and the brain, you know, and that's kind of what Cobb's vibe is, is he's beast and brain and people don't really get into it. He can also fly. He does the flips. He's just he's the super freak athlete that you can't stick in a box and the crowd kind of wants to just have him in a box. And that's why Elgin worked because Elgin Elgin was in a box. He was the, you know, the power guy, like you said, but he had a couple nice little signature high spot things that he did, but it was very minimal. And he just kind of yeah, did a, cu- a, cu- a couple nice, a couple nice sentons or flip or f- like little flips or whatever for people to go like ooh and ah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like you're here to see Michael Elgin do his stalling suplex and like catch people in crazy powerbomb positions. Yeah. And and Cobb is just too goddamn athletic, and and what he does is too much of a mix of a lot of different things. And I think that it 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 hurts him for sure because it's it's you have to really listen. I'm no Rick and Morty fan, but you do have to have a pretty high IQ to like Jeff Cobb. I'm just going to say, Oh my God. You know, like if I'm, I'm sorry, it's just the truth. Um, but yeah. Uh, so then we get into the main event of the G one matches here. Um, Goto versus the star of the G one, the King, the God. No, I mean, honestly, Jay white has kind of been my MVP of the G one. And after last year where I thought that he had good performances, but most of his matches were booked to shit. It's, it's, really a major turn i don't know if i'm fucking crazy for saying this but jay white no you're not crazy his performances are fucking amazing he's so on yeah like eventually i'm not sure like when we're gonna have the time for this maybe like by the time the g1 ends but like we're gonna have to have a conversation about jay white and it's gonna be about about the fact that people have gone really hard on him not being great in like his biggest spots but are overlooking like how great he is everywhere else and Here's one of those situations where I went for I went four stars on this. Like I thought, go I thought Goto was Goto's a great babyface. Goto's a great underneath guy. He has great offense that when he's firing up, like you always believe in him and his comebacks. And Jay is so good at the um, 
at the timing of everything. Like he has enough bits where like he's getting the heat himself and dominating him and working on him. But then he has the spots where Gato comes in and puts the tie in his favor. So it's like a great uh, um, even like heat ratio for those guys. And the way he backs off, the way he sells for the big strong guys too. Like that's something I'm going I'm to talk about with the Ishii match. But like the way he sells for someone who like just kicks the shit out of him is great. It's not exactly stooging. But he gives way more than like another baby face gives to um, someone that's on like Cobb's level or whatever. And that's one of the best things about him. And yeah, I, I love this. People aren't going to go crazy for it. It's not going to be most people's match of the night. I imagine most people would have uh, wound up going with Cobb versus Ishii. But yeah, for me, this is my match of the night. Yeah, and I, I gave it three and a quarter also as I gave the uh, the Juice versus um, uh, Shingo match. But like I said, I think that for me, I just enjoyed the Juice versus Shingo match slightly more. Um, but that said, I think that these matches were equally good. And I think that something that I've talked about when I talk, when I kind of got into the Takashita stuff on the last episode, um, Jay White shows a similar vibe, but it's 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 different. And it, there is something to it that I think that people maybe overlook. And I'll just like kind of give the way I see it, which is that you talked about it, but like selling for certain guys a little bit more than other people would it's he's not at that level like Tanahashi or something where you have this like what feels like a very special chemistry between every opponent but you do see something unique about the way that Jay White is Jay, the Jay White character in there with every person that he's going up against which just shows you, you want to you want you want to see them win more than you would like it like versus anybody else yes. and that's the benefit of having like one of like the only like being like the only true heel on the roster or one of the only true heels on the roster is that Jay White is so good especially like when he's like picking on people and fucking with people and Goto was someone that like everyone people realize he's a really good great wrestler but no one particularly cares about Hiroki Goto or Hiroki Goto matches even the crowds in Japan don't particularly care about Hiroki Goto matches watching this it was like it felt like oh my god like I really want Hiroki Goto to just fire up and kick this dude in the fucking chest already yes yes and and the thing is that yeah like those special workers when I talk about Tanahashi Okada Takashita having special chemistry with each person Jay White has a different version of it that works as the heel character that he has because he acts different like there's something to Tanahashi in the ring with Zack Sabre Jr. where he wrestles like I'm in the ring with Zack Sabre Jr. You can tell Tanahashi is cognizant of it like I said there's a special charisma there there's a familiarity there's an understanding there is this is Tanahashi in the ring knowing that he's wrestling Zack Sabre Jr something about Jay White there is a abstraction where on a human level he doesn't like it feels like he doesn't recognize them as someone in particular but the way that he reacts and the things that he does are unique to that setting it's like it's a very small detail but it's it's just something that I kind of notice and it plays into his, the heel side of things because it shows this like lack of just basic human empathy or like recognition of the person he's in the ring with because he's still separated from them even though he's in the match he doesn't have that recognition of like who they are as a person but he does then wrestle to them 
or you know what I mean like the way that he works the way that he sells he, tre- he, tre- he treats them the exact same way he doesn't give anybody like any special treatment right so like but, so like while he's like sitting here like fucking with Ishii and kicking Ishii in the head it's the same thing that he's gonna do to everybody else but like that's Ishii shit like if you sit here and mess with Ishii he's gonna chop you in the throat and beat the shit out of you but he doesn't know that because he's a fucking dumbass yes. yeah yeah he does yeah he, it's like he doesn't have he doesn't understand the gravity of the situation but he does it's it's really interesting because it it's able to add a layer of of a suspension of disbelief that you don't get in a lot of wrestling because you don't at least i don't perceive jay white as being in a pro wrestling match like you know like i don't think of him as performing in a pro wrestling match it's really fucking interesting um, because yeah, it's it, again, and it's what makes him stand out super huge on the, in this G one to like being, like I said, like the star of the show. Um, so that's the end of night two. Then we get into night three. Night three opens up with uh, Lance Archer, Bad Luck Fale. This is uh, one of the only notes that I have from commentary. Commentary is putting over the um, the undefeated nature of Fale coming into this because last year he didn't actually lose. He was not defeated in any match. He was only disqualified. Um, oh man, how much? Did, how much did that suck? Yeah, that was terrible but it was a really cool little wrinkle because it made it feel like this was something important lance archer comes out this is a pretty good big man fight like back and forth just kind of kick it's better it's better than you would have thought yeah again like i talked about Fale is is he's at least somewhat in it i think that people you know last year what did he have like the over it fuck me, fuck you pin me pay me he had like job squad t-shirts and hats and stuff this year at least he feels like he's in, out here to somewhat wrestle um Lance Archer is obviously here to prove a fucking point. Um, he gets some big time shit. It sucks because the only person it's like, you know, if, uh, the Donovan Dijak versus Keith Lee matches were happening, but instead of Keith Lee, it was, um, I can't even think of a good comparison. So I'll just say it, it would be like if, uh, instead of Keith Lee, Donovan Dijak was wrestling, uh, bad luck folly. Um, <laughs> that's how bad it is. There's no other comparison because like Lance Archer is trying to be like, this is the only guy who's going to be able to base for me in the whole fucking tournament. Except for maybe Jeff Cobb, but even then, it's like not gonna be the same. And actually, they're not even the same fucking block. So yeah, it's like like that goes out the window too. Yes, but without a rule. Yeah, but there's nobody in the tournament that can base for him. So you know, he wants to like do some cool stuff, but he really can't because it's Fale, so you can't get that cool. Um, but that all of that said, two stars, good stuff, good match. Not what I would have expected from these two. Yeah, about the same thing. I think I went two and a quarter, two and a half. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Uh, Sonata versus Osprey. So, um, le- you can, I guess you can go ahead. Get into it. Um, obviously, well, Sonata is the best wrestler on the planet. Yes. Um, he can do everything. He can wrestle everybody's style. And Sonata should be the champion because he can do everything that everybody else does, but better than them. Better, yes. But no, but no, like that's that's what it is here. Like you know, with Sonata at this point, we've had enough G ones just to realize like with Sonata, he's gonna really go out there and like wrestle exactly to the person, and sometimes that turns out into be like a good thing, which I thought happened here with this Will Osprey match that I thought was mostly really good. Um, again, still not really a big fan of him in closing stretches, but for the most part, I really like the athleticism they put on here. It's a really fast, it's a really fast match, fun match, not a lot of depth to it or anything, but something that. I definitely think is more Sonata speed than working a long main event style thing. Yeah. Two or three quarter star. Um, very interesting for a Sonata match. So I give a, a tip of the cap to Will for pulling that out. Um, the way you talk about it. I mean, what Sonata is, is Sonata is that last matchup before you fight Goro in uh, in the first Mortal Kombat. He's the mirror match. 
basically every time he always <laughs> just ends up like fucking yeah like trying to outdo you at what, at what you do um next match we get uh kazuchiko okada versus uh i think the agreed upon wrestler of the year for 2017 zach saber jr um good stuff i mean these guys are really uh, they, they worked a sprint it was really awesome yeah i i i thought for me this is their best match against each other because just because of that fast pace i think that there was no chance to get bored um or at least i like um i like i, I like the sakura genesis genesis match they had uh last year but yes. i know at least in, i know at least among our friends that i'm alone in that but i, I really like that match so i put I probably put this second. I, I can't blame you because i liked that too and i think that part of why i could see um liking that a little bit more is just more clear heel zach stuff in that match that was really good this match yeah, no, like, and like, it, even like sentimentally like it was like the guys that were like just a few months before that were my number one and number two wrestlers of the year like right having a title match and like zach saber jr in a sumo hall main eventing i'm like oh like this is like like catered directly to me right <laughs> so it's like so it was like there was like that aspect but i thought the work was really good too but here um i like the sp- i like the sprinting here uh Zach sells more than he has to here, which I thought was like a nice touch from him. Is that like the not like the work here isn't about like any particular limb or anything, but I re- but I really like the commitment to it, even if it wasn't the story. Like Zach's like Zach Saber Junior's neck isn't the story in this match, but when he's applying holes, he's still like reaching back towards his neck after he gets hit with like a crazy tombstone, and he's trying to get get himself together. And I like the little stuff like that in this match, so I found that really fun. Yeah, and Zach, I mean, he really is a awesome like update of of kind of the billy robinson style in modern new japan which is cool um especially in the way that like he transitions into like the flying kind of uh head scissors um with the arm bar thing that they like rocky does a good job like referring to as like a modified version of an octopus even if it's you know not technically it still works on some of the same muscles so stuff like that was cool um where he really is this modern day version like you talked about the selling from zach here is good they didn't get it that's why i say like the sakura genesis match is good because you they they slowed it down and you got a lot of chance for zach to really get into healing it up which was was actually probably the best part of that this match because of the pace it was worked at you really didn't get a chance for zach to sink his teeth into any kind of solid heel work you talk about you know selling or focus was not really there but there was definitely there was focus in that both guys are clearly what they are and honestly it's a good thing to see okada a little bit shaken out of his uh his comfort zone because a lot of times he's very formulaic and it's nice to see him in there with someone who can you know getting to show off that if he's in there with someone who he can trust someone who he you know knows is a world-class performer um, that he can diverge and get into some other stuff and not be as worried. Because I think that a lot of times people overlook the fact that I think that that's a lot of weight on your shoulders to be Okada. <laughs> and the idea that you just don't want to lay an egg no matter what. So that's why it's like really easy to just be formulaic and do the same thing. Because you're not always going out there against someone like Zack Sabre Jr. Sometimes you're going out there against Yoshihashi. You know, very rarely. But <laughs> some people at that level where it's like people expect Okada to have amazing matches. So he has to just kind of stick with let me do what I do. And then the crowd will be into it, and then we can go home. But that's a three and a quarter star for the match. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, up next, Evil versus Ibushi. I don't have any big thoughts on it, so how about you uh, open this one up for us? I don't, I don't know. It was like definitely fun, big like big spot kickout stuff. The crowd got the crowd got super into it during, down the stretch, which kind of surprised me. But the action as the finish was coming was really good. Um, but no, I, I don't have any particularly strong thoughts on it. Evil getting the win surprised me. 
but that's something that's something that more goes along with the G1 booking than the match quality there. Yeah, and I think it made sense. I think that for all of the times that I I will and have repeatedly said that I do I well don't 100% buy into it, but I do in some ways buy into the idea that wrestling is a performance that is specifically catered to the crowd in the arena. Um and that you know to to mean that it means that if the or to say that I mean if the crowd is into it then that means that the match was at least in some ways good, you know even if it doesn't speak to me, this match is like in the realm of being not a complete indictment but something that just shows that like I'm not one of these fucking assholes who just like says that and just sticks to it because I didn't like this match the crowd did but it wasn't for me, um, I'm not. I don't think I'm digging Abushi this year. I'm not digging Abushi in this G1. And what's crazy is I think he might win. I think he. I think it's very possible that he wins the whole thing. Um, but I'm just not seeing it. I think that they're doing an interesting booking storyline overall, where I think they're doing a lot of losing streaks slash winning streaks. And I think that um, that uh, that it's going to be interesting because what we're going to end up with is a lot of people that are still in the running towards the end of the tournament. Uh, that said, I don't think that the match was bad. Um, it just doesn't speak to me. Two and three quarter. Um, the crowd got into it, like I said, so can't argue with that. Um, but yeah. The next match, um, maybe an indicting ratement in the fact that I actually think that it was like, finally felt like maybe Kenta is showing us something. He's also in there against the ace. Um, so it's hard to, uh, to argue against the quality of his opponent. Kenta versus Tanahashi. Um, I felt like we got some real shittiness from Kenta that I liked. Some aggressiveness, some violence. Um, looks like it was more um, personality driven, which I think is what people should be wanting out of Kenta. Is that in all the oh wow, he's so mean and violent and stiff in his wrestling, and he used to be uh, so urgent and uh, fast. He's been more personality driven the last few years, and. No one is more personality and like emotion driven than Tanahashi, and I thought that was like that wasn't the match I was looking forward to the most on paper. But after that match happened, and I really liked it, I was like, you know what? Like I should have been more into it into that because that made the most sense of anything that was booked. Right, and and I will say it makes sense. I mean, Tanahashi is the ace for a reason. I've I've kind of in the past I've posited that I think that people overlook Tanahashi as like secretly Enochiism, uh, just because he's got funny hair. People think that like he's like not, but he's like very old school in his concept of how wrestling works. And in this match, I mean, they threw hard, they go back and forth, they sell big, they have defined characters, they are really petty. That you know what I mean? And it's all stuff that makes fucking sense, and it's all stuff that's like based off of the history. I mean. There's a piece of Tanahashi that you see in this match that he's like, who's this Noah piece of shit? You know what I mean? Like, he... He, he clearly does not respect yes. Kenta the same way. Yeah, exactly. There's something to it where it's it's nice because you know that, like, Tanahashi just doesn't... I don't think Tanahashi takes any wrestler as serious if they didn't come up in the New Japan Dojo. And that's a really cool old school mentality to have as a wrestler. And that's been like historically proven yes, too. Exactly. It really has. And if you, even if you came up in the new Japan dojo and you turn your back on new Japan for a while, then you're also a piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like the, the Shibata stuff. So there is something really awesome about that, about Tanahashi. He's got just, he's got that pettiness that you can sense in a match against someone who's not a new Japan guy. And it comes through here. Kenta, you talk about Kenta, the way people see him, I think that it's very true that, like, he was super crisp and hard hitter and all this, but I think even in his early on stuff where he was a little bit more stoic, 
he was that was like that stoicness was the personality that he was showing like he oh, was, oh no oh no oh no i agree but i'm saying like that's what people focused yes, on yes yeah people overlooked that like what made it was that was that character the character he was of, a stone-faced killer yes. that like didn't give a single fuck like that like that's why kenta worked right because like if he like like anyone could be a fiery baby face but like he wasn't he was a he was a baby face like like baby face like sometimes tweener because he could like lean into being like a heel dickhead sometimes but he was a baby face just because he was so mean and nasty and like it was endearing right no it really was and the thing is is that historically someone like that can actually get over in japan more than they can in america but kenta was so good at it that he did get over the little bit that he did in america playing that kind of character so that is something to say to that like how good he was as that kind of stone-faced assassin type so you know again this was the match this match felt like again if you're gonna get something to show off what kenta can do in new japan this is the guy to do it with obviously but he did not disappoint in this setting um all right, so we get into night four here. This was the last night of this kind of set of, uh, of shows um, that was last weekend. Um, and we open up with Yano versus Shingo. I mean, I get it, kind of, that Shingo wants to stick with being Shingo, especially right now because he's trying to kind of solidify and debut himself as a heavyweight but I honestly think it hurts him more that he basically goes out and just has a primarily serious match with Yano when everyone else mm. has at least some comedy with him. And it, yeah, everyone else, everyone else switches it up and Shingo just like, no, yeah. no. And I think that it really hurts him, especially because I think that we know historically from what you've seen in Dragon Gate, that Shingo can play comedy. He has the, per- Shingo, Shingo has, Shingo, Shingo has comedic timing. He has a big personality. Like Shingo can do it. Yeah. He's, he's definitely very good at playing a straight man, but, a straight man in comedy which is i think people overlook as still being a comedic character um he can be good at that but here he's not um star and three quarter i hate to say it especially because i really like shingo but it's like been it so far it's like the worst i mean maybe the second worst match of the tournament for me okay i i liked it it's like you talking about like you didn't like the how straight shingo played it. I, I mean i liked it for that fact because everyone whenever they have yano caters to yano and what yano wants to do and i like the fact that shingo's no like i'm, I'm not i'm not here for that i'm not here for the turnbuckle removing and all the like i'm, I'm here to larry the dude's head off and I, and I and i like that fact but i but i get why you didn't yeah and again I, I just think that it unfortunately with him being a junior he shows up here and then does this like it, it just it kind of puts him even a little bit lower i think it's trying to put him higher it's trying to say like he's gonna stay serious but i think that it just makes him look like He's the, he has to have a real fight with Yano when everyone else goofs around. I don't know. That's just me. Um, next match, you talked about the underrated nature of Juice Robinson as a as a brawler, but here he goes up against, uh, I don't know, maybe the worst of the kind of never brawler type guys. And I, I don't dislike Goto, but I think that in these settings, in Haas fight settings, he's maybe the worst. But this is not like just... I mean, I mean, I, 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 mean, I just don't like him with Ishii, though. Like, right. I th- like I think the Shib- I think the Shibata Goto stuff is better than any of the Shibata Ishii stuff. Right. Um and this match I mean isn't just like one of those kind of dick measuring brawler fist fights kind of matches. So we don't really get that vibe. But uh I mean you can you can take us off. What did you think of Goto versus Juice here? Um it was a, it was just a good wrestle. It was just like good 
fundamental, like what you expect from these guys kind of wrestling. They've, they've had good chemistry in the past, but they've never had anything blow away. And this, and this is definitely, definitely more in line with that. Um, I was, I was, I was happy to see Ju- like juice get the win here because I think, I think coming into this tournament, we were looking at this and we're like, man, like a lot of these guys can't afford to win. I can't afford to lose or how many wins is this guy going to get? And it feels like everyone's going to be such on, like, on such even footing. And this is one of those matches that really defines that because these are guys that are sort of like on like level playing on a level playing ground. It's like, man, like you can't even predict like who's going to win this. So I like juice because juice had a rough time. The last, the last few tournaments and seeing him get a win here. I don't think he's going to get too much more after this. But it was like, oh, okay. Like juice finally gets a win or juice might be getting more wins than I, than I think he will. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh... That's yeah. We'll see where he was. I hope he doesn't end up just being a middle of the pack guy, but it feels like that's where he's gonna be. Unfortunately, um, it's, it's a it's a it's a crowded tournament. We'll get to that once we yeah, yeah. run through like everything. But it's it's such a crowded field. All right. Well, next we get to match of the tournament so far. Um, the true best match so far: Jeff Cobb versus John Moxley. Um, the only time I care about Japanese wrestling is when two American people are doing it. Obviously. <laughs> um, no, but this kicked ass. I mean, I really did like this a lot. I gave it three and a half stars. Um, I thought... That, yeah, I think that's the, the same thing I gave yeah, it. Yeah, good brawling. I love the stuff on the ramp. I love the back and forth. I thought that the, this was... Did you see that Moxley ankle pick? Yeah. Like, that was awesome. That was sick. They mixed it up in a lot of different ways that you wouldn't expect. They really... Just, yeah. I mean, these guys were thoroughbreds through and through. Cop- we, we, gotta, we gotta talk about it, man. Is that... Mox is very clearly likes doing some like more snug, amateur, realistic shit than in Japan, and I think that's probably something. One of his frustrations is that he might have wanted to do more stuff like that in WWE, and he didn't because like this dude's going for ankle picks and cross and cross facing when they're on the mat together. And granted, like you could argue that he shouldn't be going like fifty fifty with Jeff Cobb on the mat or anything, but he has such like a grittiness and determined like determination to like all of his movements there's like all right you know what like if jeff cobb's fucking around you can see that like moxley could get the best of him yeah and moxley's got good stuff like the you know the attempted german off the apron and he stomps on the foot you know what i mean like mm. he's got good little grittiness and it, and it, it plays in like we talked about it in the interview i don't really remember which one there were so fucking many of them but the interview where he was talking about facing brock lesnar and it's like yeah brock lesnar's got all this stuff but you don't know if i got a fucking knife you know what i mean like there's there is something <laughs> to moxley just being a fucking maniac and like sure he's got some real trash fucking grappling skills and he's not great but he's also just a wild man who would do some fucking insane shit and it'll just like happen i think i think he's i think he's clearly a gra- like a shoot style grappling nerd or whatever like oh yeah he clearly likes all, yeah he clearly likes all that shit i'm not sure if, i'm not sure if it's gonna translate to him being any good at it but he clearly is really into all that stuff he likes it but also he's pretty smart because he's not making it his thing like he's adding a little right. little elements here and there but he's not trying to lean into it which could would totally turn off the people who are just going to be into him um so yeah so he's doing a good mix we'll see how it goes how it progresses the best thing that could happen is if someone introduces him to tim thatcher because if him and thatcher start training together i could see him really putting some shit together because thatcher no like like that's the that's the match i've like i like as soon as i saw him go out there with the um with his gear in new japan and the knee pads i was like oh man like this like Get him at Thatcher hooked up or something, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. But yeah, he's got the little shooter boots on. He's got the you know the 
the little trunks. He's he's definitely trying to look more like a wrestler. And part of that probably plays into the fact that he came from WWE and he was really upset with the fact that he felt like it was not wrestling. And now he wants to show that he's a fucking wrestler. So yeah, three and a half star. Like I said, great stuff. The brawling, this the Cobb really got to show off here too. But but Moxley looked great. Like Moxley, I mean, talk about Jay White being the MVP of the tournament. I mean, Moxley's probably becoming like second runner up. He's in the conversation. Mox, Mox, Mox has been real, Mox has been very good. Yeah. Like I, I've I've been pleasantly surprised with yeah. him. Yeah. He's and, and he's my he's still my pick to win the whole thing. Damn it. Uh, we'll see, but probably not going to happen. Um, up next we get Jay White versus Ishi. Um, again, this kicked ass. This was really good. My only issues with it so good, like so good. Like, my only issues was w- with it was opening up with some outside crowd brawling after the match that we just had was kind of heavy on that. Um, I could have done without it, but but it was totally different. So I will give them credit on that. But it's just. It brings back PTSD, <laughs> like bad memories from fucking G1s where there was like, that was the trope. Every fucking match had to have, you know, crowd brawling. Every match had to. Every crowd brawling, everything count. had a, nine, had a 19 yeah. <laughs> all of that. So it's just, I'm just like, ah, two of them back to back. Fuck, please do not continue. But they've done a good job. It's really not feeling formulaic like it was for years there. It's like, yeah, but, but there's also like the thing, like, on a, like to defend it a little bit, like that's like Jay White's thing. Like outside brawling is right. like his transition spot, right? And that's like, why, which is like another like that's such an interesting thing about Jay is like his transition spots are so like unique and strange. Like his whole transition into oh yeah, I'm gonna control the match now is I'm just gonna go outside and beat the shit out of you, right? And you know who does something similar to that is Kane Justice, um, similar guy who d- works in those the ring post spots usually to be like the starts of his control. So it's a really interesting, cool way dynamic to do stuff. Um, you know. I won't say that J- Kane Justice is better than Jay White, even if they might be wrestling. They might have the same some, amount of years some, of experience. Some, 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 some people would say that. Yeah, they might. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that my only issue with that is not necessarily the match or, like you said, that it's a Jay White thing. It's like more like if I'm putting the card together, I'm not putting these matches back right. to back. You know what I mean? That's that would be my only issue is I would have had a little, a little buffer, especially especially if, especially if it's Jay White's thing. Right. Just give a heads up, like, hey guys, like so that's like sort of his like his whole deal. Maybe we like pushed them down further on the car so there's like more space between it, or you just don't do it at right, all. Right. Exactly. And but which would have sucked because I think that the Moxley Cobb stuff on the on the apron helped the match quite a bit. But also they probably could have got away with not without having it. I don't know. Um, either way, I mean the selling from Ishii after the DDT that spike DDT and then the way he sells the arm and continues to sell it was fantastic the only issue for me dude, is, is it kind of disappears a little bit later on but go ahead what were you saying dude Jay, Jay's selling of those Ishii forearms like I don't know if you like you were like as like enamored with it as I was but like the way he like flies back yes. after these Ishii forearms I'm like oh my god like it's the best I've ever seen anyone sell for Ishii. Right, and that's what and Ishii is like, Ishii is someone that like, that like commands a certain level of respect but like he really sold for this guy, and I was like blown away by it. Yeah, and that I mean, that was why that was a big part of why like I loved this fucking match because it was the antithesis of all of the bullshit, dick measuring sh- crap that you get from Ishii. Jay White was never once begging for a shot from Ishii. You know what I mean? And you get so much of that, and it just drives me fucking crazy that everybody has to like you know. Tell Ishii to hit him hard. Oh, hit me back. Let's let's stand and bang. Why the fuck would you ever do that? Why would you ever stand and bang? Like it doesn't make the any only sense. Time, the only time he ever the only time he ever does it is um he's like he's fucking with Ishii in the corner and Ishii just starts hitting these up kicks on him and I'm like oh my god like this rules so much because it's not like the typical like oh yeah Ishii does it and then like just leans into it. 
he just starts throwing these up kicks like, oh man, when I get up, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. There was such there's such a great underneath seething from Ishii. The like I said, the neck selling from Ishii was great, and then the way that that Jay White played off of that, the way that Jay White teased the finisher repeatedly, going for the Blade Runner, going for a lot of big moves over and over again. But never hits it, you know, so that's always – I always appreciate that when you can kind of play with the counters rather than just doing the kickouts. Instead of just doing a bunch of big kickouts, you kind of tease moves and, and sells and counters. Great stuff. The sliding lariat uh, block where all Jay White does is lay down and then starts laughing in his face. That was great. Like – he, th- he thought he thought he got smart. He thought he got smart at him, and then Ishii just like, no, 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 no. I can I can, I can change it too. Yeah. It, I'll I'll go I'll go as far as to say that it's probably Jay's best straight up match in New Japan yet. And when I say that, I mean when you look at his previous great stuff, like the Juice match from Cal- like the Juice match from uh from Cal Palace, I think, and um the Tanahashi match from King of Pro Wrestling. Those are great matches. Like the juice match is like a lot of like heel chicanery bullshit and just like straight crowd heat. And the other one, like the other Tanahashi one, is like heel chicanery bullshit and a lot of interference. And for something that I think was not totally reliant on just in ring in ring merit because there was some ghetto interference stuff, but it wasn't heavy. And so for something that was purely in ring for the most part, this is the best outing he's had in New Japan yet. Yeah, and I I could definitely see that. And what was funny is as the match was going on, because you talked about you know the history of Jay White matches here in New Japan. The thing that crossed my mind was the the Dave Finley Jay White Young Lion feud, and just thinking about those matches and they were good. And Jay White seemed like some potential. Then I was thinking about how did Jay White come into New Japan through Finn Balor. You know what I mean? Just like saying like, hey, mm. this kid from Australia is pretty good or whatever. And he shows up and then that's what, and all of this stuff. And it's just it's so interesting the way that these things happen because it feels it feels so like how do you just happen that this Prince Devitt guy tells you about some Australian kid? Oh, yeah, he has some OK matches with like the son of a legendary wrestler when he's a young lion. He go, you know, he goes off to, to ROH for his uh, excursion and all this. And then he comes back and like, you know what? We're going to make him a top star. And we're not just going to make him a top. We're going to push him as a top star. And then he like slowly is developing into being like a transcendent worker. <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's so crazy to think like how it feels predestined. Like it feels like it was just like, oh yeah, this guy's gonna be a big thing, and we're just gonna we're just gonna make it happen, and then it just slowly does, and then at the end of it, it's like, wait, how the fuck does that work? <laughs> like when you watch WWE, and it's like Roman Reigns, who's like a good wrestler, but the crowd doesn't care about him, and like realistically, he's not like, he's good, but I wouldn't say he's amazing, and it took all this stuff, and there's all these hiccups and all this weird stuff. Like, how does Jay White just have this amazing path? Where there's like just no bumps in the road, like there's a little bit of bumps in the road, and the like early switchblade stuff was weird. But even then, it- but even then, like like this, like I guess like now we, I guess we can't have the kind of can't have the conversation about Jay that I was trying to have because you sort of like perfectly like led to it. But I think that stuff gets so overblown. Right. I think when you, I think when you actually go back and look at it for like for the large scale, like Wrestle Kingdom match versus Tanahashi isn't great, but I got like crazy negative reviews I don't think were warranted because it's still a good match it just isn't great and I think people expected great right off the bat from a guy that 
is like literally in his first match back from his excursion is a, is a is an intercontinental title match or US, US title match whatever the fuck like that's hard um the Kenny Omega match the next month not great but I still wouldn't call that like a bad match or anything or something that would have been discouraging in the Okada Madison Square Garden match I don't like it that much I think the problem here I think the problem there was that like Jay didn't lean into his personality enough that it like got him over in the first place and he just went for a more typical straight up uh just new japan like stoic style main event but that's only three matches out of like everything else he's done so like from the from david from david finley to juice to the uh other tanahashi stuff post wrestle kingdom to the Ishii match we just got here, the Tanahashi title match from New Beginning, even the Osprey match from the anniversary I liked, the Evil match from the uh, last B Block show or whatever from lap from last year's G One. It he's had so much good shit that it feels like it's always weird to me when people like kind of harp on the well he he wasn't that great here and it's like okay fine, but I feel like there's been way more than enough evidence to point to like oh yeah, Jay White's a great wrestler, this thing's probably going to work out, then, man, Jay White's going to flop. Yeah, he had a couple shaky performances when he was brand new, working as a heel for probably the first time in his career. It was the first time in his career. Like, I, I can yeah. tell you that, like, guarantee it. Like, he was a babyface the whole time on an excursion. I think other than, like, like me, me and you watched all of his, like, like most of his excursions, right. didn't yeah. we? All, like, that was, that's when we were still watching ROH. He had the one PWG appearance. He was working in RevPro. Me and you oh, saw yeah. all of that. At no point, I was at, that at no PWG at no show. point, <laughs> yeah. And at no point was he working heel. So we got as but Jay White. I think everyone people people knew that when Jay White came back, he was going to get pushed. And I think people were ready to push back on that just because we've already dealt with Okada and all that shit. They're like, oh man, here comes another guy that's getting pushed really hard right off the bat. But realizing like what they were asking him to do was really fucking difficult and not giving him the time to do so. And we acted like it was like, man, Jay was going to be a project. We don't know how long it's going to be. And then like, I still, I would say by like October, the dude was bordering on great. That's pretty, that's pretty good to me. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, and he already is clearly showing potential and continuing to grow, uh, you know, in a big G1, like, again, in a star-studded, packed G1 with a lot of debuts and a lot of interesting matchups and a lot of great matches so far. Honestly, like I said, I think maybe, to me, the best G1 in at least three years, maybe four years. I couldn't even say for sure. Like, um, but definitely three years without a question, maybe even longer. Um, and he feels like the the MVP, the best performer so far. It's just like... Yeah, I mean, a couple of stumbling blocks. And, and yes, I talked about it with, with Tanahashi, with how good he is. So there is something to... That's not a good look when you have a shaky, bad match with Tanahashi. That was not... To me, I didn't hate it. I, I got it. I got why people didn't like it. It was awkward. It had some weird spots. Some stuff that I think was overblown, that, even at the time. I think I remember saying that I thought that it actually worked in the context of the narrative of the, of the match. Um, but... You know, people just didn't like it because it felt weird. But like, I mean, come on. Beyond that, he's like, like, like I'll say, like I get, I got it. Like, the initial J act is weird. Like, I don't think they really hit their stride until he started doing like the cowardly chicken shit, he- like chicken shit heel stuff, where 
he wasn't just like some weird like violence pervert or whatever that you're like supposed, supposed to take him as he was a manipulative douche like douchebag and like cheated his way to get to the top and that's where he really was able to do something because the initial character was confusing it was dumb like right. like like he was just a weirdo that that has like a knife pendant around his neck but he's not particularly like mean or vicious or anything right so i it, like it was weird for him and i understood why people got taken aback by it but we also forget like oh yeah jay white's like was like 24 or whatever when he when he came over and was doing that it was weird as hell. He didn't he didn't work heel at all when he was in when he was in New Japan and didn't work heel at all on his excursion. So I think when people go back and like really think about how they were re- like re- reacting to Jay White in his in his first couple of months, I think people will realize they went a little too hard on the guy. But now it's like, come on, like he's he's really good. And I'm not saying he's like main event. You're like, oh yeah, he's gonna go out there and have a amazing Tokyo Dome match. Because that MSG match was a bit of a red flag of like how he just completely stripped himself of all of his personality. But for the most part, this guy this guy's been having great matches since he's came since he's come back. Right, and yeah, I mean, there's there is like just a lot <laughs> to say to like that early on the character, the stuff with the chaos just felt really forced and like on like really just literal, like and tr- just trying to play off the idea that. He wanted to be in the chaos stable just because he wanted to cause chaos or whatever. It was very, it was just a convoluted way to try to set up the character. If they had skipped a lot of that and just gotten right into kind of a more understandable character, I think it would have worked a lot quicker. Um, yeah, but but uh, I'm happy that we were able to get into this Jay White conversation because uh, someone's got to fucking do it, right? Um, after that, not a bad match, but felt like anticlimactic as the main event. But I get why they did it because I guess yeah, it was Tai Chi's hometown. Yeah, yeah, after, yeah, uh, yeah. After Jay versus Ishii, like that, uh, like I looked at the file, I was like, oh shit, that's another match after yeah, this. <laughs> it really didn't make sense, and it, and Jay White really feels like he's at the level. I kind of wish that he still had the IWGP champion so that they could, you know, have the excuse for having a main event a lot more of the shows because it feels like he probably should be main event venting a lot more of the shows. Um, that said, obviously this match is main evented by Tai Chi versus Naito because it's Tai Chi's hometown. I think they played off of that pretty well. The The aggressiveness back and forth was pretty good. Commentary did a good job talking about Tai Chi's history. Um, I gave it three stars. Like I said, good match, but anticlimactic and really didn't feel like it was able to main event over that match that just happened. But the crowd was into it, but they were definitely not like super fired up the whole way through. But you could definitely tell that they were into the match. I went to one, and I don't like Naito and Tai Chi together. Okay. At least this year, like I, th- I thought they had good matches last year, but after, like I thought the match in the beginning was one of the worst matches I've seen this year. And I went to one there, so it's not in that same range. But yeah, I, I just, I just don't get it with these two together. Yeah, and see, I kind of liked it. I thought that they they have a good vibe with each other. I think that it's the it's the most serious that I seem to be able to take take Tai Chi honestly in here against Naito. Did you did you see Tai did you see Tai Chi versus Ishii from Dominion? Uh. No, no, I saw the three-way. I did not see Taichi versus Ishii, though. Okay, so watch watch that, and I'm like, low-key, that was, like, maybe, like, my second favorite match on that show. Okay. And they were just, like, them, like, beating the shit out of each other. And that's probably going to be good again when they uh, face each other again in the G1. Yeah. But that's the kind of Taichi that I can deal with. And it feels like with Knights, it was more like Taichi trying to do big, main, big, big main event style new japan stuff and i just i just can't get into it with him um next we get into night five i've heard i think i heard someone saying that 
people are down on this worst night of the tournament so far. To me, I felt like it was the most solid that's, overall. That's what. Yeah, that might be the, might be like the best show as a whole yeah. that's happened so far. I would say overall the matches here are, are better than any of them. Open up with uh with Archer versus Kenta. Uh, both guys really seem like now they're well. Archer the whole time has really seemed like he's had something to prove, but Kenta now seems like I talked about, but now he seems like he's in it and he did not disappoint here. Super violent. Uh, did a great job, Kenta, I think, making up the size difference here with the aggressiveness and the stiffness of his strikes. Um, and just, like, his presence. Yeah. Like, he's, like, like when he's sitting there, like, like poking his chest out to Lance Archer, at no point am I like, no, this isn't believable. It's just, like, the way Kenta carries himself. Like, yeah, Kenta could kick this guy's yeah. ass. And he, start, and he starts doing so with, like, some leg kicks to chop him down. Yeah. Loved. I really liked the, the grappling back and forth. You talked about it. Kenta's focus on the legs in general was great here. This is a high octane all action brawl kenta he's like you know he's kind of like a fly buzzing around archer but he's also i guess maybe more like a bumblebee or a hornet a wasp or something the way that he strikes with these just vicious stings repeatedly um yeah three and a half stars for me um yeah i guess you can give your thoughts on it oh yeah it it was it was good i think on paper for kenta this is one of the matches in his block that i was uh least looking forward to and now like with this motivated lance archer in this tournament like this banged i'm not gonna sit here and act like it was like i think it was great or one of the best matches of the night but i really enjoyed this yeah i mean i wouldn't say this is a, i mean it's in my conversation i thought everything was really good here the next match was also right. really fucking good <laughs> I, or at least i thought especially going into it kind of what i was expecting i guess i should have expected it to be good um evil versus sonata i don't know what were your thoughts quinn and like it's it's two guys that I not I'm not particularly fond of. I will say that uh, once they started once they picked picked up the pace a little bit, maybe I should have expected it because they're taxing partners, so they know each other better than anybody else would. But they had really good chemistry with each other down the stretch, and it's the one time in a New Japan closing stretch where Sonata has looked good. I thought, and I think that like that definitely was a testament to the chemistry those two have of being around each other all the time. Yeah. Well, I thought the stiffness was nice here after the first match, and then leading into this match, it felt like everyone was turning up the real violence for the night. So I liked that. It felt like you were fitting a theme of of aggressive, hard hitting. So that that did it for me. That's it. I mean, I give it three stars. I'm not saying it's like amazing, but I thought it was really good. Um, and I like I said, I just I thought that there was an aggressiveness that really felt like it turned it up here um okada versus Fale. uh i mean obviously these guys are always great together the hoopla from the outside i thought really added a lot to this match um and again like it becomes tropes repeatedly last year it was done too much but they've been really good at being conservative so this is the first time we're really getting a lot of fuckery um and it really helps to again make up for Fale's lack of you know talent or or speed man man i wish i wish Fale had better offense right because Okada was Okada was selling his ass off in this match, like it's it's one of those moments where you like re, like re, like zero on it zero win on it and realize like like Okada is so good like even in moments like this where he's had better matches with fought with Fale, but he just sells so well and makes this thing work because Fale's offense has just gotten so soft nowadays that Okada has to do this in order for the match to work at all right and i mean okada bumps his ass off and then you got both guys you know chase owens and Jado on the outside constantly adding in a lot more chaos to it mm. oh 
Okada looks really strong. But you know what I like from this too is that Okada, I mean, maybe he's not the most giving, you know, ace champion of all time or anything like that, but he also could have just beat Fale with his move and he doesn't. He beats him with a, a kind of flash um, jackknife pin. So I give Okada some credit for that. He didn't have to be. Oh, there, oh and there, by the way, there's definitely an argument for like Okada being one of the least selfish wrestlers ever. Right. Uh, for the level of star that he is, he could be a complete dick, you know, and just never want to do this. But he does it big time here. And it's folly, I know. So you could say the size, he deserves the credibility, the selling, all that. But either way, he doesn't have to put himself over super big. He gets the win. And I like this. I mean, I really like this for what it was. It was hoopla. I mean, it was a lot of hoopla there was a lot of outside interference there was a lot of like a you know fall or uh, okada all over the place selling big but it was really enjoyable it was fast paced it was interesting it was entertaining they really i mean i have to give credit to someone who's making a lot of action around someone who maybe you know isn't great and like even if i could see other people arguing that like because Fale was isn't that good that like the match doesn't deserve a decent rating but it's like the match was still good though. It's, it's really, imp- it's really, it's really impressive seeing someone get get something like that out of someone that yeah. regularly just doesn't do that. Right. So I gave this three stars also because I really liked it. You know, I thought it. Was, yeah, I'm with three. Yeah. yeah, I'm with three on it. Yeah, I thought it was good stuff. Okay, so then we get Tanahashi versus Zack Saber Jr. I'll let you open this one up. Uh, I think I, I think I probably liked this a little bit more than their match at Madison Square Garden. I like how committed they were to doing a mat-based story match. Usually what they'll do is they'll have the opening opening sequence and they'll they'll exchange some mat work and they'll transition into Zack Sabre Jr. on top. But it's really felt even all the way through. And Zack Sabre Jr. getting frustrated and eventually taking his arm. But Tanahashi never lagged behind too much at any point or so too extensively it was very much a fight and competitive all the way through with no one ever feeling like they had too much of an edge and i like the i like the way they did that the finish i thought was super clever because it, they could have just had tanahashi go out there and beat zach because they're both undefeated at this, at this point so tanahashi could have just got like his clean like a clean win over zach with the high fly flow but zach gets the knees up and catches him in a, in a, in a submission and Tanahashi finds a way to roll him up into a pin, and Zach is just so distraught after that. And I like and I like the way that even in Tanahashi's first win of the tournament, he's not getting anything super decisive. Right, which is it's a I mean it's the place for him to be. It was again it was a really cool finish that you don't see all the time. Um, it played off of a lot of stuff. Zach again playing this kind of grappler sprint based kind of style, quick pace match, lots of high. Yeah, two yeah two for two on those yeah. like. With the with the high end guys in New Japan working more sprint style stuff and this worked fantastically. Yeah, it's, it's great. And the two matches back to back having the kind of cradley not fluke, but definitely not super decisive finishes no, this, yeah. was good. And it really set the table for the main event in that it was a, a really different kind of match. So, you know, they gave because yeah, you talked about it. they could have like done a little Matt wrestling token Matt wrestling stuff at the beginning and then done spots throughout and all this but instead they really stayed pretty subdued pretty pretty kind of tame in the match very interesting intricate work but you leave everything on the table for the big main event with the two kind of young bucks to get to show everything off and do all the crazy high flying um that said Tanahashi's Zack Sabre Jr two or three and a quarter for me i was almost a two and a quarter did you fucking imagine um then we get the mm-hmm. main event like i said the two young bucks um a lot of people's favorite to win it in abushi um a lot of people's maybe dark horse 
to win it. Maybe a lot of people's wrestler of the year in uh, in Will Ospreay. Um, and really just what should be a showcase matchup for the ages. Um, I don't know if it necessarily 100% delivered to that, but it also it's in the G1. So there's still plenty of time for these guys to really bring it in a big time setting. But that said, did not disappoint. Um, loved the back and forth. Really felt like fireworks. Um, maybe could have used a little bit more substance, but still there. I mean, Osprey's definitely selling it like he's in there with the big boys and he's not just in there with the big boys but also he just came off of a legendary all-time best of the super juniors run so he's banged up he's always banged up but he's especially banged up um but he's gonna take it kodabushi has kodabushi has his ankle set that they mess with right. and um you talk about the death here and granted like it's kodabushi and will osprey so like i wouldn't expect anything that has like a ton of range in it too as far as like the stories they're gonna tell but they do more than you would think as far as they like they're both banged up and they're both coming in nursing injuries so they both at first are focusing on the other person's injury yes but they don't do enough work to make that the story or as where if like someone complained like oh well i don't like how they like they didn't sell this enough it was like okay well they didn't work on it that long so like it felt like very uh valid and the way kodabushi sold it kodabushi sold it like someone walking off from an injury people usually think of wrestling selling of like man as soon as you work on this person's leg they like they just start selling it like death and koda Ibushi had it in more of a nuanced like real athlete sports kind of way where koda i mean will did some leg work to him but it wasn't that long and as koda is starting to get the upper hand back he is just walking around slowly shaking the leg back out and i think that's something that i really liked as opposed to someone going all on board with leg selling just just based off a few minutes right and and osprey i think is a guy that people overlook because or they overlook this part of his game in that he's a finesse guy and being banged up and being injured isn't going to mess with your ability to kind of like have some of these really cool flip out type counters in certain situations because it's like body control stuff and if you have a really strong core, you know, your neck and shoulder is not going to affect your ability to kind of pull some of that stuff off. So, so while I get why people would like have issues with that. And like you said, it was never a big focus. I mean, they did a really good job of, of starting it out with that. You kind of set the foundation so that people kind of get it. These guys are in here, but then there's some, some big time bomb throwing, just huge strikes and kicks back and forth that look great. There's some, you know, it was super mean. Like the selling was like the selling for like, the strikes and all that stuff I thought was great. And these these are two guys that like ragdoll and fly around when they bump like the, with the best of them. But they have like that Thatcher and Ishii quality to them too, where once they get with a big strike and they collapse, like they do it just as well as anybody. Yes. They're... There's a moment in here where like, I like audibly like yelped when Osprey flips out of the um, rope hung German suplex and he just annihilates Kota Bushi's face. And it's, some he, he usually with the um like whatever hidden blade or whatever the fuck he calls that elbow <laughs> it's like to the back of the head it's like to the, it's to the back of the head but it was like more towards like the face like in that in that region I was like oh my fucking god like I, something that like genuinely shocked me and like got excitement out of me and like these are two guys that are the best of like we're gonna go out there and do like athletic spectacle like crazy insane shit and they do plenty of that but there's great striking 
There's insane bumps. It's not really about the sequences in this, I don't think. It's super violent more than I think it is like some like wild athletic spectacle. Yeah, and and that's a great way to describe it. It's it is two of the most prime specimens in you know the sport in athletics. These are two just amazing you know somehow magically once in a generation kind of athletes or you know performers athletes who happen to be crossing paths at the same time when they're both relatively in their prime banged up but it's also not about that so it's cool because you get glimpses of it but you also get mean fucking strikes big time like like lots of lots of pettiness yes. when uh when uh osprey gets hung up in the ropes after uh he has the, he has his time uh peppering abushi with some strikes and kicks and mocking him and getting crazy abushi to come out osprey gets hung up and abushi and abushi just looks at him like yeah you probably shouldn't have done that and he just starts kick like kicking him and stomping his and stomping his face and looks at him like yeah like you fucked up and i and like people are gonna like point gif it and make fun of it but for me like that was such a great image of abushi looking at this little fucker like you have no idea what you just did <laughs> right no i mean it's the stare down there's a moment where they just kind of stop and, and stare each other face to face and Again, I love it because there's none of that dick measuring. You know, after we stare down, now we just trade punches. It's like they get right back into what feels like a real fight. Dude, Ibushi selling of that elbow like has stuck with me so much. <laughs> like, like, like he sold it. Like, and people always like use this uh like meta, like, meta, like metaphor or figure of speech or like like sell like death. He sold it like he was done like he was actually out osprey was physically dragging him everywhere and that and that also played off of the wrestle kingdom finish after uh osprey hits him with the elbow to the back of the head and has to like just drag him everywhere and uh get him up for the finish and we were like oh my god abushi has a concussion abushi has a concussion and then you realize like no that was just probably all work to get that move over yes and then and then and then here they are revisiting that same spot, and it's like, oh my god, Osprey's concussed Ibushi again. Yeah, and these, I mean, these guys now have two epic encounters against each other. One which that like yeah has that now has the lore of that that concussion part of it. But I mean, yeah, and and you talked about it, but that death selling. I mean, there is something special about Ibushi because you can only truly sell like death when you've seen the life drain from a man's body, right? I mean, <laughs> when you've been face to face as you forced uh one of your victims to breathe their last breath so abushi has experienced that firsthand as the serial murder that he is um so he knows how to sell like that the um yeah the counter of the fucking german and then the 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 abushi just kind of grabbing the ropes that's an amazing fucking moment in this match these guys i i mean these are two of the guys abushi you don't hear about it as much osprey obviously everyone talks about it like he's basically the sasha banks of of new japan like the guy is just falling apart and dead at all times every injury that ever happens to him is 100 percent real um he's never once worked an injury in his entire career tanahashi is the other one where like every year it's a new injury and like oh my god tanahashi's like so falling apart and i was like oh he's been having just as good matches yes. as he was and ha- as he was having in 2011. Right. Oh, it's really weird. But I do hope that these guys get to continue this on because they have something special. And if they have a big time yeah. matchup for like 
IWGP championship at some point, I think that you could have something epic. And, and like, I get it. Like, if, if someone's like, this went too long for the style or whatever, cause, because, like, there isn't a lot of substance to it, I get it. But, right. like, it's, it's, it's so mean, and they just do such unique and creative shit, and it lands in such a way... And they also do, like, the little stuff, like, teasing the injury. And, like, I even think, like, the opening exchange, like, mat work and, like, strike exchanges look re- like look really good. Like, I don't know. It's, like, a, it's a really good main event match for that style for me. Do I think that most of the time that'll work better in a condensed format like a sprint? Yeah, but I, I think those two did something like this as well as they could have done it. Like, it's not, like, my match of the year or anything. I went four and a quarter on it. I loved it. But that's not something that's going to be in like my match of the year conversation. But I, I think you did that just as well as you can do that style. Right. Yeah, three and three quarter for me. I mean, really close, obviously, to the same rating there. And and this is the grown-up version of, you know, the Osprey Ricochet match. You know, this is Ibushi versus Generico. These are the, this is kind of the mature level. So I can see why someone sees it and all they see is those matches still. All they really see is that same kind of fireworks. And they don't... It's really easy to overlook that there is a lot more substance to this because there is so much kind of crash-bang, big-time action. But there is. There is a lot more nuance to this. And I think if you're paying attention and you're you're really being honest and you're coming to this discussion in, in good faith, I think it's hard to argue that it's not there because there is a lot of selling. There is a lot of pausing. There's a lot of... Not even just selling, but there is that melodrama that I may not be a big fan of. I think you historically have liked more than than me, but the hanging up in the rope stuff with Ibushi, it really worked. I mean, that's the kind of thing that can turn me off, but I thought it was done expertly here because... He, but again, he, like, he's, he's one of the only people that can do that spot. It's about like people doing it and like the intention and like who's doing these things. Like Kota Ibushi is the only one where he like, can look... like Maybe like Minoru Suzuki too, right. but he's the only person where they can have someone hung up like that and I will be like, oh my god, like, you fucked up badly. A lot of the time, it'll look it'll look goofy, but after what Osprey was doing and being a dick, and he is caught in this like caught in this precarious position, Ibushi's just like, like, you're like, oh no, poor Will, he's about to get the shit kicked out of him. Right. But any like anyone else, that is a bad, goofy spot. Right. And part of it too is the way that that Will reacted. He didn't just lay there and you know look at Ibushi in the he's, eyes. He. Oh yeah, yeah, he's fighting. Yeah. He's not just like, like, like hanging there, letting Abushi just stare at him and kick the shit out of him. As Abushi's crouching down, he's taking swipes at the dude. Like it's a great spot, at least to me. I get why people are gonna do that, but that's what happens when you take stuff out of context and like gif it, and because of, because like that singular moment looks so funny. Like everything else leading up to it and like how Will reacts to it makes it a great spot. Right. I mean, that's every every wrestling move, everything that happens in wrestling can look goofy taken out of context everything can look great if you do it just right like there's a lot of times like that living and dying by gifts and in the moments can can really kind of hamper your ability to appreciate it and even not just that like really just like surface level like you kind of see it and then just write it off and not think about it so so yeah i mean great stuff i mean this again this night night five here of the g1 i thought was phenomenal top to bottom all the g1 matches were really solid um and and I guess we'll get into the booking stuff. Like I talked about, I'm expecting a lot of parody down the home stretch. Um, I think that we're going to end up, a lot of it's going to flip. The guys who are on losing streaks are going to start winning. The guys who are on winning streaks are going to start losing. But that said, I mean, I've said it multiple times already. I think that this is my favorite G1 in a while. Um, 
I'm really enjoying like the quality of the matches, the the level of care that's clearly being put into the characters, the detail. Like this is great stuff. I mean, what's the big picture takeaways for you, Quentin? Yeah, for me, like I touched on it before, but it's such a crowded G1. Like from everybody, from everybody from your Jay White to your Naitos to your Okada, your Tanahashi's, Abushis, Moxley, Kenta, like it's such a crowded field that when you're sitting here trying to do these predictions on who's going to win night by night, it can switch at any given moment. Cause you're like, Hmm, like, well, how many matches is Moxley going to lose since this? And like how, like, because he's already came in and won the United States title. How many matches realistically is he going to drop? Is he going to drop any clean falls? Is Jay White going to actually, is, is Jay White a real contender for this thing? Or is he a pretender? And granted, like these are Gato booking patterns, but guys like, um, Ibushi, Naito and Jay, Starting to moth, starting to moth with losing streaks, but it, it it really does add to it because there's more guys that are streaking than ever before. It feels like, and it just feels like unpredictable still. Like granted, I still think it's either Jay or Abushi that's winning the that's winning the G1 right now. I'm leaning it leaning more towards it being Jay, but I like it when something that's like on the day by day basis can feel unpredictable, and. That's what it's felt like so far. Um, before we keep going on the big picture stuff, the show that's going to be happening, um, or what will have happened by the time this comes out probably, is uh, the B-Block show in Korokin. And the tournament matches there are Shingo Takagi and Taichi, both of those guys having two points. Jeff Cobb versus Juice Robinson. Cobb is zero points. I think Juice is two. Jay White versus Toroyano. Jay, Jay is at zero right now. And Yano was at two. Goto versus Naito. Goto has two points, and Naito, and Naito is still at zero. And then we go to uh, the main event, or something. Or I, I'm not. I can't even call it the main event. Cage match does it all weird. For all I know, Goto versus Naito will probably wind up being the thing that goes on last. But the match that's listed last here is John Moxley versus Ishii, and Moxley having the four points, and Ishii having four points. And again, like I, I, I just like the sound of this, like. It really just feels like you had to watch and be like, man, holy shit, like, who's going to win and who's going to lose, like, day by day? Yeah, it's the first time in a while that it feels like that really matters. You know, night by night, the wins and losses are, like, huge. Like, it really is going to end up being something. And you talk about, I mean, it's a it's a stacked, stuffed, like, fucking roster for the G1. And it's, like, it feels like one of those old fighting games. It's, like, Street Fighter or something. Like, everyone has their lane and their thing and they all stand out in their way it's uh, we've had a lot of years where there, it feels like a lot of samey people but this is like everyone's their own thing and then all of these different vibes are clashing with each other and a lot and there's, and there's like a, and there's a lot of people there that need to be established like shingo and osprey are in here first time g1 participants they need to be in here and get established taichi needs to come in here and get established right. john moxley john moxley and kenton need to come in here and get established like jeff cobb there's so yeah. Je- jeff cobb like there's so much going on here that that's what it makes it such a must watch or a must follow because it has the suspense that you would have thought about from a 2012 2013 G1 and in the last couple of years it maybe has it maybe has lost that same luster but right now we're at, we're at a point where it's like shit like Shingo Takagi versus Taichi like Shingo just beat Juice and I don't think Ju- like Juice and Taichi are about at the same level like like Shingo might beat Shingo might beat Taichi, but Taichi just beat Taichi just beat Naito and might get another Intercontinental title shot. And 
look, that's that's what they always do for G1. Like, have these upset wins and upset losses. But right now, because there are pe- there are so many people that feel like valid people, it just it just feels more uh, urgent and important than before. Yeah. It feels wide open. It feels like really cool stuff is going to happen. And then on the next night, you you know, you mentioned all the matches, but like Jay White, who's been killing it with Toriano, like uh, even that's like fuck, that's going to be fun. Like there's going to be some cool stuff. What can Moxley do with Ishii? Like Ishii is not terrible. We had like a pretty in depth discussion about the quality of Ishii as a wrestler today, and I think we both agree he's not terrible, but he definitely needs a good opponent. Well, fuck, Moxley is a guy who's been showing that he can have good matches with pretty much everybody so far. So what's he going to do with someone like Ishii who really fits in his wheelhouse? Like this is going to be a very interesting night. And, but the thing is, is that every night has been interesting so far. And I think it's going to continue to be more and more interesting nights. I mean, you know, after that we've got the, the, the Kurokin show after that one that we just ran down is a Fale versus Zack Sabre Jr. Tanahashi versus Lance Archer, evil versus Kenta, Kota Ibushi versus Sonata and Okada versus Will Ospreay. Which those two have had killer and, matches. Like, killer matches. And, yeah. Oka- and o- the crowd is going to be molten hot for Okada versus Will Ospreay. Right. Like, pe- people, we talked about it before, where people, like, don't like to admit how over Osprey is in Japan. And Okada was just super fucking over in Kurokin. And notoriously, Kurokin has been the crowd for New, J- for New Japan where... That's where like the sort of like smart like the smarky fans that we would think of are coming in and they're cheering for the more obscure or uh, less um less protected guys on the roster, and those two guys were beloved on the last show, and those two like colliding at Hurricane like that might be an incredible atmosphere. Right. What can what can Zack Saber Jr. do with Fale with with the the way that he's been having matches like the sprint style grappler matches what can he do with some Tanahashi versus Archer like I, like I don't even know how that looks how that, that looks right that now that could be fucking nuts if Archer is out here and he's motivated as hell and Tanahashi is as good as he is he could put something amazing Kenta Kenta with the fire underneath him against someone like Evil who Evil I think he can stand and bang with the right people you know like if he wants to have a big fight he can have a big fight and I think that those two could go off I think honestly on paper the weakest match to me is Sonata and Kota Ibushi. Like, you know, and that's just because of and Sonata. I, and, I, and, I thought, and, I thought those, and I thought those two had a really good match yeah, last year. Yeah, they have great – they have really good chemistry with each other in ring. My only issue is I'm just not interested in Sonata, but that doesn't mean that the match right. won't be good, you know? So, yeah, I mean, this is a crazy good year. Like, there's so much fun shit happening in the G1 this year, and I was – I've been very down on it. It's a great year to, you know, start this podcast, be doing this reviews with you – getting into this talking about this because on top of everything i still feel like yeah like i think that people talk about naito abushi there's some people talking about okada like as the favorites but i think that this year it's still pretty wide open honestly i think that almost anybody could win like there's a few people who definitely can't win right like fale archer probably not gonna win but i think it's pretty wide open for almost anybody else like kenta isn't the wildest no. choice in the world and granted, like, yes, he started off streaking because they have to establish him. But, like, what if he just doesn't stop streaking? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, what if he just like, I, like, like, I, like, I, yeah, like, I don't think that's that out of the question. No, I don't think it would be crazy, especially if you think about it, that he could be in a lot of ways a replacement for Shibata, a guy who historically felt like it was always the time for them to pull the trigger on him. And it seemed like they were getting there and they were almost going to pull the trigger on Shibata right before he went out. So what if they just pop Kenta? That's not that might sound insane to some people, but I mean, think about it. They 
New Japan has done very similar things in the past. Specifically, think about AJ Styles coming in and basically getting what a lot of people thought was the push that was meant for Prince Devitt. So, is it that insane? And, he, and, he, and, he, and even now, like, look at you talked about the connection between Devitt and Jay White earlier. Jay White is effectively doing what Prince, what Devitt would have been doing if he stayed. Right. So, so I, I, I yeah, this, this is a, I, I really, I really loved it. I think a lot of people are gonna point to like match quality as to why like they might not, they might not like this G one as much as like the peak years or previous years. But booking wise and like it, everything feeling so wide open, this is uh, maybe the most I've really been in, been into been into a G one since like twenty fifteen. Right. Yeah. No, that's probably that's probably true. I'd have to like look over the exact blocks and everything to be a hundred percent, but I think that you're right. All right, Quentin, anything else you want to hit before we uh, hit the old Dusty Trail? Uh, no, just if you haven't listened to the new Psychology is Dead with me and Brock talking about the We Don't Know Wrestling 2010s and uh, all, the, like, all, all the topics across there from Southern Indies to, Mex- to Mexico to, Ro- to Roman Reigns and debunking if he's actually a great wrestler. Like We, we touch on a lot of stuff there. So if, if you haven't listened to that, go check it out. Yeah, I highly recommend it. I've already listened to it episode from you guys as always um yeah just follow the podcast on twitter at q and t r uh and an r spelled out as words uh email us any ideas what was it uh who's the kenta kobashi of the uh ddt um yeah four, or four pillars uh, email that to q and t r the same spelling q and t the words are spelled out at gmail.com um which i haven't checked in a while so i probably should check it um, don't think we got any questions or any posts this week about it. But, uh, yeah, that's it.